Internets, we have an announcement to make. The Combat Jack Show will be live at the A3C Festival this week, starting Thursday. We'll be there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We'll be doing a whole bunch of stuff down there. We'll be doing panels. We'll be doing live shows. The weekly drop will be live. Listen, yeah. we'll be there kissing babies, shaking hands, yeah. and just having fun with the internets. King, what's our schedule looking like? Oh, man, we gonna, man, we got a live show Thursday, 1 to 3 p.m. at the Louder Milk Center. Friday, 1 to 3 p.m., doing a weekly drop. Saturday, 1 to 3 p.m. Another live show. You know what I mean? Another live show at the Louder Milk Center. And then we're doing a fabulous panel, you know what I mean? On podcasting, right? The the present and future of podcasting and digital media featuring none other than the Combat Jack Show. And drum roll, please. Featuring Juan Epstein. Juan That's right. Peter Rosenberg. Cypher the sounds. two best podcasts out in the game. The two best in the game, man. Sitting at the t- round table. You know what I mean? We're going to have fun with it, though. A3C, Most definitely. A3C. And we'll be doing a bunch of other stuff. And, and, and come fuck with us at, at, at the uh, Get Brunch. Shout out to Sean Phelan. You know what I'm saying? We're doing that Saturday. You know, we, some sometime in the day. I don't know what time, but we'll be we, we floating around. You know what I mean? Just look for, look for it on the IG, Twitter, and all that. Internets. A3C Festival live this week starting Thursday. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The whole Combat Jack show will be down at A3C Festival live this week in Atlanta, Georgia, live yeah. and direct. Come fuck with us. Come Cheer. fuck with us. Internet. This portion of the Combat Jack Show is brought to you by Bevel, the superior shaving system designed specifically for people with coarse and curly hair. I use Bevel. I got a lot of people who use Bevel, and you need to use Bevel too. So go to getbevel.com, G-E-T-B-E-V-E-L.com, and punch in the promo code COMBAT, C-O-M-B-A-T, like me, and get 20% off all your purchases. Once again, go to getbevel.com, punch in the promo code COMBAT for 20% off all your purchases shave like a boss internet so you're tuned into the combat jack show what's up premium what's going on, combat man october's cuffing season mm-hmm. you know what do you do when it's cuffing season well i'm already cuffed so i can't really comment on that well I what guess. do you do when you're cuffed but uh, i guess you netflix and chill yeah. i guess you now you can't netflix and yeah, chill because you're gonna make another baby well that's true that's true I don't need no more. You know, narcos and chill. You, you know, I, I'm messing you with Zoo. I'm messing with Zoo, actually. I don't with know what? if I mess with that. Zoo? Zoo. Yeah. Is it on Netflix? It's one season. Yeah, it's 13 episodes. Okay. Uh, I heard they just got renewed. It's part with CBS and James Patterson, but it's okay. like about animals. It's dope if you check it's it like out. It's like a like a like a National Geographic about animals. Nah, it's more it's more like you know what had like been affected by the animals. Like a- animals are like going against the people. Like they're not scared against. So it's, it's a drama, science fiction type. Somewhat, it's dope. It's addicting. Okay, so yeah. so so uh, what are the most dangerous species out there? Uh, leopards. Leopards. Yeah. They run the shit. I mean, they, they were killed. The leopards run this I mean, shit? Well, you know what it was? It, it, it's a whole crazy thing because it was like a company who puts like pesticides and foods and all this, type, you know, different type of stuff. So, you know, like there was rats becoming like, you know, as able to be like tigers. Right. You know, just well, are they people. growing? Or are they... Well, growing, yeah, sure. Really? Yeah. Zoo. And not scared. The thing that, is... That it, sounds like some crazy shit. Yeah, I'm telling shit. you, and they're not scared of the people. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, man, internets, uh, this is a very special episode um, we have, you know, every now, I haven't done this in a long time, man, like going back to our roots, interviewing people in media, 
you know, we, we got so caught up and I, and I don't mind interviewing celebrities and, and, and artists and producers, but it's been a long time since we, we jumped into media, particularly the, the form of, 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 you know, magazine and what mm-hmm. magazines are today, digital print and the whole nine. So internet, I'd like to welcome to the combat Jack show, Mr. Andy Cohen, president and publisher of fader magazine. Thank you very much. And uh, amongst other things, yeah. And uh, Naomi, how do I pronounce your last name? Zeichner. Zeichner, editor-in-chief, right? Yep. Congratulations, guys. Thank you very much. You guys okay. just uh, hit the 100th issue of Fader magazine. Yep. Um, double cover of Drizzy Drake and Rihanna. Yes, sir. You got the internets going nuts. We are trying. <laughs> uh, you're doing. Um, the Drake interview was very engaging. Yeah, you know, he was uh, very forthcoming right with us so uh, i think i think we have a great history with him so you guys are known for uh a giving artists that grow to be part of our, our culture their first covers right yeah i mean i think fader set out you know 16 years ago with really an early access to artists and it just came naturally so we had because of rob and john's background our, rob our, stone our, yeah, and john cohen our two owners uh, in the music industry, they had such like early access to to records, and you know Rob had Outcasts, you know, before it was ever sent out to media. So I think Fader was started based on having that inside track, even though they had no magazine experience. Right. Um, so I think you know having that access early on, and Rob coming from more of the urban world, and John coming from more of the alternative at the time world, you know, those backgrounds really reflected how kids were growing up in now- the in the nineties and. 2000s listening to every genre of music so now didn't rob have uh extensive experience with bad boy and puff back in the days yes yeah rob uh did he was head of promotion um for uh clive davis at arista Arista. he was helped puffy start bad boy actually and uh was very involved in early days of notorious big and bringing him around the country to radio so yeah um how do you nab both drake and rihanna for the same issue, for the same cup, for the same magazine. Oh man, you just like pray. <laughs> I think uh, with Drake, right? We had worked with him earlier this year on a on a big Sprite campaign, and sort of we had worked with him on that cover in two thousand nine. Right. Um, and we hit his camp. We hit Oliver and Future, his managers, and kind of said, you know, like, listen, we understand if you don't want to do this, but we really hope that you do. And, right. and there's sort of no one else that we'd want to work with us on. Uh, and we were just sort of very lucky that the timing worked out, I think, that they were kind of ready to talk because they hadn't done a big magazine piece in a long time. Uh, well, it feels like forever, but it was about a year. Right. Uh, and then Rihanna, right, we had hit her, you know, throughout the time. I mean, it's funny. It's like one of the first meetings I took when I when I came back to the Fader a year ago was at Rock Nation. It kind of just said, like, listen, y'all, like, this is this is all that I want. Right. This is This is the goal for me. So you had been planning this we, we had just i think we had just been kind of putting a feeler out and that that this was an important story to us that right. rihanna was an important art, artist to us and that you know fader is very known for doing things first and i think there was sort of an idea people people all the time are like why do you do this cover and why not this cover and people think that if something you know i try to explain that there's like there's no science to this nothing is too pop nothing is too indie nothing is too old I, you know i don't know it's like what's right and so i, I it was important to me to let them know like rihanna is not too pop for us like right. we can do this uh, and then as things, you know, progress closer, we kind of hit more and more people and finally the stars align. But it was, you know, it was definitely uh, different than some of our other cover processes. But she was amazing to work with. It's a lot of energy, right? A lot of energy. I, I remember we, we actually started planning this issue about a year and a half ago. Right. We were looking at our editorial calendar and I was like, 
whoa, we're coming like, up we on have, 100. We have 100 right. in a year and a half. You know, <laughs> let's start uh let's start thinking about that. So, we did start thinking about that real early. Was there any plan Bs? We had probably plan C and D, like right. and maybe L. Right. Who who were your plan F? Bs? Did you can you share I mean, plan Bs and Cs? And... I, yeah, I can't I can't say that because no. it's just not right, you right. know, cuz I don't want anyone to ever feel like they were uh, you know, <laughs> they, were, they were they the were, afterthought. Right. They or they got shafted, right? Yeah, or they got shafted Poor. because cuz it really it was always about it was never really about a plan B in all honesty. It was really like you know, who are the two artists that most represent everything that Fader stands for, mm-hmm. you know, over our 16-year history? Like, the diversity, male, female, you know, and really, you know, Naomi has, has said this a lot recently, but it's almost like the mom and dad of Fader culture, you know. And having Drake, we gave Drake his first cover back in 2009, and I think he uh, always felt that Fader didn't take things out of context to be salacious, you know, with headlines, with clickbait. I think he really understands what Fader's about, and that you know, we're very much about like the artist and telling real stories and not trying to, you know, just generate, you know, web traffic and stuff like that. So, you know, in, in an age of, uh, I, I would say, increased competitiveness based on, you know, the state of magazines, the state of print, the state of media, um, the I would imagine that the, 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 the plan or the strategy is to get the most popular persons on the cover. But you guys tend to go against that. You guys go against the grain and you know, you have artists on the cover that I've never heard of. That's how I just, you know, looking at your cover, I discovered uh, King Cruel and actually even Young Thug on the on the cover. Why do you why do you go that way when when convent when convention would say get the biggest person for this month? Yeah, I think that you know it's funny. Like to us, right when we did that Young Thug cover, for instance, like he felt really huge to us. I think like that it's not just. It's, I mean, right now it's so much easier to kind of really quantify somebody's social reach or somebody's popularity. Like those numbers actually exist in this way that they didn't before. You can see how many Instagram followers somebody has. But I think like uh, we feel, you know, that there is like a saturation point where somebody's story becomes truly interesting because they've done things that matter to people and that have created conversations and they have enough going on in their lives that we can actually write something that's 3,500 words long that's actually going to matter and be interesting, right? Like so that... That's the threshold for us. And, you know, like it just has to matter to us and we have to think it matters to our readers. So like somebody like Popcon or like Ty Dolla Sign, you know, artists that definitely like have a certain level of just saturation in the industry and have done enough in their career, but maybe not the hugest right. to some to, to, you know, to everyone. Um, but I think for us, right, it ultimately like it's not about how many chart hits do you have? How many, you know, how many Twitter followers do you have? It's really just about is there a story to tell? Right. Because I think, right, like, no one's going to read our stories. No one's going to care about our magazine. No one's going to share it with their friends if that story isn't substantial. So that that's, like, the bottom line. And I think, you know, my background being at other, you know, national music magazines, I, I've been at Fader for 12 years now. Right. But, you know, I think it got to the point where you could think of an artist, like a, like a Jay-Z or a, a Radiohead, and you could picture them on the cover of every single one of, like, those magazines. Right. You know, and to me, after working at Spin and Vibe and then the source, I'm like, where am I going to go from here? Like, am I going to just go to Rolling Stone? It, it was all felt very homogenous. You know, everything was the same. It was in the old school days of publishing. It was only about how many copies are you going to sell? How many subscriptions are you going to drive? And to do that, you had to put the biggest artists on the cover. Right. So when, when I saw Fader come out and the first issue I saw was number three with Beck and D'Angelo together and Mm. Most Def on the backside. 
it just felt very fresh. It felt very reflective of how young people were listening to different genres of music, you know. And I always joke about it because I'm 41 now, and I always say I'm from, like, the Walk This Way generation mm -hmm. because, you know, when I started listening to music in 6th and 7th grade and really started getting into it, like, that was what just blew my mind. I'm like, you know, white dudes playing rock music, you know, rappers rapping, putting it together. I was like, what the hell is going on here, you know? And, and I think fader really established that early viewpoint of there is no genre it's just about like really good music and who's pushing things forward and it felt they were really more like those magazines that i mentioned were in the early days when it wasn't about how much you're going to sell ads for you know and how big your circ is going to get and i think as it's transitioned to the digital age it's really been the same thing to naomi's point it's like really about at this point quality while people like to post everything and i think the the biggest thing that's helped build fader is our ability to say no right. and that means saying no to friends that we have that are longtime managers of artists and you know it's not with a, with big named artists with i'd say with big name artists right. small name right. artists like you know and a lot of times they they pitch us with their full passion behind it and, and it's just not going to connect with us and you know we we've we have to say no we, we've never done favors and i think that's what's kept fader is fader's integrity really strong and made it about the fader as a brand name so we could put people like i could put you on the cover next month let's and, do that yeah let's, let's make that. that's like that happen you know, and people look at it and be like oh that must you know that's a huge cosign right so. um but how competitive is the spirit though still i mean you, you guys are a brand you guys it's a competitive field like how do you stay competitive when you're looking in a different direction i mean I, I think we stay competitive, honestly, right. by not really paying attention too much to what everyone else is doing. Right. And I think that's really part of, like, what is in our DNA has always been, like, you know, who's who's next? You know, like, who's that guy? Who's right. that girl? Like, what's that band? You know, where what country, you know, is has a scene that's popping? I, I think it really always has come down to, like, us. And, and it sounds, I don't mean to say that, like, to sound like we don't have competitors because we all compete right. on certain levels. But for us, like staying fo focused on forward, you know, has really helped us, I think, maintain that edge. But but honestly, honestly, though, how big was that nut when you guys landed these covers, though? Like the Drake and fucking Rihanna cover. Like, did you motherfuckers go crazy in the office? I honestly feel like I'm just now celebrating now right. that everything is out because, like, to be honest, like it was challenging at every at right. every step. There right. was no there was no true win. Like every every win came another challenge a little bit and. But I mean, like, I think that that tells you something, right? Like, I think this this work, like, to get these stories done in a in the right way that sort of feels of the fader and not just something generic that anyone could do. You know, Rihanna does thousands of magazine covers, but this one, you know, like, how how can we make this different and feel like us? It's it's like challenging work, and I think that. But now that everything is sort of out in the world, I definitely feel super proud of of the whole team for putting it together you know the the drake interview is so timely because so much has happened i mean the sky's been on top of the world for the past what year and a half two years but this past summer's been monumental this guy's like supernova phase i mean mm -hmm. the, the 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 interview was great it gave it shed a lot of light on the whole meek mill thing and how he studies the game but there's something different about the rihanna piece like can you can we talk about that yeah absolutely so you know i think that we going into that you know we kind of laid out our our ridiculous asks that we lay out when we start any cover story and every cover story kind of ends up different in terms of what the access is and how many days of reporting uh but right i think for this one we were like our expectations are like the moon and they were like okay let's like bring this back to earth a little bit um but in the end right we had this wonderful photo shoot with rihanna where she 
uh, took some self-portraits, and then we also had our photographer sort of set up some stuff, and it was this, like, crazy, collaborative, cool thing. But in the end, we never spoke to her, right? There was no interview. She kind of said, I'm not feeling it. Right. Uh, how'd, you I, got, how'd you feel about that? When, what was, well, tell us the process, like, like emotionally. When you, you nabbed it for the cover, but you don't get the interview, like, what's the process like? I mean, I think the process ultimately is that we agreed that she would that we wouldn't have an in person meeting, which I think for us is you know like that's that's of course much better always, uh, but that we would do some email questions. So for us, that process became like, how are we going to ask email questions that will matter at all? So we kind of convened this like group of people, and we had this big email chain, and right because like that's like what are your opportunities, and like how can you just send those like messages into the sea and hope that something cool comes back. Uh, and so even even at that point, we were kind of like, this is already going to be very fundamentally different from what we right. usually do, because this is like an email correspondence who knows what this is. Uh, right. In the end, she just wasn't interested in doing it. And it became this real puzzle, like a, like a Rubik's Cube of like, how do you do this and shed some light, but also not be not be too assumptive or, you know, how do you keep the tone right, uh, but also not do something that's like totally useless and puffy and inorganic, basically. Right. So the the writer that we hired to do it is someone who's interviewed Rihanna a couple times before in life, uh, but also somebody who I think just is like Rihanna, doesn't give a fuck, uh, really smart, kind of like knows who she is and knows what she wants. And uh, so that was that was a big choice, right? right? That was like a big way of solving this puzzle was like, let's just be like Rihanna. Let's just channel the essence let's of Rihanna. Let's get into her head. Right? Yeah. And instead of trying to do a traditional write around where you talk to lots of secondary sources or really try to like bring up you know, have other people shed light on her it, you know it didn't really feel right we we're like we're not gonna she's not gonna take it that heavy we're not gonna take it that heavy either we're just gonna really write about why uh you know before we started taping you said like rihanna has the women going nuts like how wh- why is that like yeah. why why are, she's why got are, the women going fucking absolutely nuts. like i you know she's just a person that i talk to my friends about constantly as if we know her but we don't know her at all you know and i think we that don't that's, right I mean, who, I don't know. When you, you think know? you know her, then, you know, you don't know her. You sure. Know? She, so, she switches it up all the time. And it's just like, why do we feel so close to her? Why do we feel like she matters so much to us? Why does she right. feel like this beacon of light in this crazy world? So that we just wrote about that. And I think that what the result was just something that, you know, at the end of the day, Fader wants to publish stuff that's really nice to read, that you can sit down with, that is worth being printed on paper. Uh, and I think we achieved that. So... Even though maybe not the perfect circumstance and definitely different for us and kind of this one of a one of, once in a lifetime Fader one hundred thing, uh, I, I'm super happy uh, with sort of how what Rihanna brought to it, what our writer Mary brought to it, and and how it turned out. What's the response to the Rihanna piece? Really positive, and actually, like you know, both from Rihanna fans as well as kind of like media people who are talking about this sort of new state of celebrities who don't speak. You know, I think that it, it's it's much more common now, and I think that this was a story sort of. Uh, Beyonce, the Vogue Beyonce story in the September issue was also right around. I think people realize that this is like a thing that's going to happen more. And and again, like a hard, a hard kind of thing to write. And it was nice to hear sort of back from just the media or the writing community feedback on sort of how we approached it. I think also, you know, one of the things that's most interesting is was to see how the artists themselves react to these pieces. So I, I think we there was no obligation on her whatsoever to do anything with the story right. and she posted it to her facebook page she posted the link on twitter That's That's she posted six of the images from the spread on her instagram account so you know I, I think that that really does say something and not that we do things to just make sure that the artists are happy right but i think when we we do a good piece and everyone's happy with it like everybody wins and i think that's what that's what ended up happening here. is this your first time working with rihanna 
Um, yeah, right. actually, it it is. Um, with regard to the other artists like a Drake, who mm-hmm. you've given their first covers, um, how loyal do they tend to be? Do they or do they tend to move on loyalty in terms of like? Guys, we need you for this issue. And they're like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll give you this this cover because you guys gave us our first cover. Yeah, I think we see that in, um, I would say, about 90% of the artists that we work with and the ones that we really, you know, see blow up that we had on our cover first right. before anybody else. I think we see that, like, a really good success rate there. They you remember know, that, huh? They do. They do. It's a, it's, it's a huge inflection point, I think, in their careers. You know, it's like the first time hearing your song on radio, the first time seeing your face on the cover of a of a national, you know, global magazine. I think those are moments that you don't forget as an artist coming up. And we've seen the kind of history now or the trajectory of these artists and really the relationships that we've been able to continue to have. I think the biggest thing that's helped us with that over the past 10 years is is obviously the, the digital evolution because when we were just a print magazine and doing some events, we had to keep it moving in every issue. We had to keep talking about the next people. So we didn't have space to really continue the dialogue with artists. Like we'd put Kanye on the cover first and then we wouldn't have a lot of ways to continue talking about it. Right. So I think that's another thing that has really helped us evolve is really, you know, that continued ability to do video with the artists to continue their story as they get big, you know, through, through digital. And you know what, you know, Drake is, um, a class act, you know, he's somebody that I feel like uh, really gets it. Like he, he's, you know, as long as I, you know, I have had run-ins with him and know him, you know, he's somebody that is like, you know, lives by, I feel like the old school rules of like, you know, being loyal and appreciative of people and never forgetting anything, you know, but more so I wanted to touch on real quick is how important is it for these like issues? Cause print is so different now these days to grow legs. You know, I mean, obviously you want it to move out there. You know, I'll give an example, you know, even like something like, um, I don't really pay attention to much print these days, but like something like even like a complex, they have like a Justin Bieber. But I heard, you know, I was with my aunt and I seen it on the View. So I'm saying like, you know, I know you can't predict what could happen, but as far as for Fader, like, you know, how important is that for the, for it to grow legs and travel and you know and hope to get you know more than just in you know a cover. Yeah, I think it's really important. I mean, again, I think I think through social media, through all of this stuff, all these channels now, you know, you have so many places for this stuff to live and for your consumers or potential readers to find you so i think it is important that you surround the content and everything that you're doing with all of those legs and all those channels i think as far as the print magazine showing up on you know things like you know on television like i don't think we ever set out with with that as our goal you know or else we would be a very different type of publication um but yeah, I think it's important for us to get it out there, but it really it's more important for us to feel great about it when it goes out and then we really do l- let these things live, you know, and, and travel. You know, coming up in the um 80s and the early 90s, I was a big um magazine addict and not even just, you know, domestically. I remember being in love with the the Face magazine from the UK cuz I saw LL Cool J on the cover back in the 80s. Um or the, you know, independent magazines like the Andy Warhol's paper you know, which was so engaging because it was so eclectic. Um, the stock was different in terms of the paper. And then just the, like you said, the, 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 the diversity in, in terms of what your magazine does. Is that intentional? Is that kind of like a throwback? Are you paying homage to like the traditional urban, particularly like New York City, the grit and grime of like the, 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 the premium of being eclectic? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when the Fader was launched that we were looking to a lot of those European magazines and thinking, but I mean, what I think about now, right, is like I grew up kind of, you know, I'm young enough that I had CDs, but really like I'm one of these people who like, I don't, I don't want any files. I want everything on a, in the cloud on a hard drive. Yep. Right. So it's like, but if something's going to exist on a piece of paper, it better be good. Mm-hmm. You know, I think right now there's a lot of magazines that are still getting printed that like it's it's not easy to make a magazine and to make every page on point, right? Like it, especially when you have a team as small as ours, it's really it's a labor of love and it's and it's just like a really creative, difficult problem. And I think that to make it to make something that's really worthy of being printed is it it like it it better look good. It better be something that you actually want to keep. The photography better be as good as the writing, you know. And I think that for us, like. Recently, we've kind of like reevaluated almost a little bit, like even like down to the word count of each different type of story. Like, what 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 do we really need to tell these stories, and how are they going to really be worthy of being printed and being something that you want to keep? Um, you know, I I feel like Fader is really unique, maybe in that it it sort of set out looking that good and being that eclectic and interesting, and that it hasn't it hasn't become diluted. If right. anything, it's it's better. The now. the econ- the decline in the economy, particularly in that field, hasn't affected. Your commitment to quality? No, because we found other ways to generate revenue. Right. You know, I think that's that's been the key. And for us, we look at the print as our halo piece. You know, that's the thing that every other month, you know, lands on people's desks. And it, it's a huge separator. It's almost the whole game is flipped now. Like the competition, you know, the the war field, the battlefield is is the Internet now. But we compete with a lot of people that don't have that print asset right so when that comes out every other month you know it's a reinforcement of the quality of the brand i think we've never compromised the physical quality of the magazine through changing the paper stock making it smaller you know putting ads on the back you know we still we've done two covers since day one since day one why two covers man because i think you know two covers when you're a magazine that's about diversity right and you have even if we were monthly right what happens is you put someone on the cover and that stamps you for that time period, right? So people go by a newsstand and they'll see Young Thug on the cover of Fader. And if there was like a, an ad on the back, you know, people will just say, oh, that, that's a rap magazine. Right. You know, and I think for, for the way the magazine was, was founded by Rob and John coming from such different backgrounds, you know, I think it was a, a way for us to always have a balance, you know. And, and there's been issues where we have two rappers, a rapper on the front and a rapper on the back. Because that's just what was right at the right. at the time. When there's no set formula, like Naomi said, there's no like we have to have a rap cover and a rock cover, and and or a DJ and a you know. So I think it's been a huge asset for us to help reinforce the fader as a diverse brand. Now you grew up in publishing. You, you like your father worked at Newsday. Yeah. So you grew up like. Did you know this was going to be what you were going to do? No, I mean you know I grew up. Uh, having a newspaper writer, you know, an editor for dad, I think I just saw, I saw a parent, I saw a parent that really loved what they did, right? you know, and, and I, I think he, you know, showed me that you can go to work and you can love it. You know, right. you don't have to have a job where you have a briefcase and, you know, you grow a mustache and, you know, you got to like get on a train and, you know, I, I saw him having a lot of fun, you right. know, and, and interview. So he loved it. He loved it. Right. You know, and, and I think. I was always interested in journalism. I, I when I started getting into music, it wasn't good enough for me to just hear the music. I needed to know about the artists, you know. And I even remember one of my best friends was like, "He's like, why do you care, you know, what Kurt Cobain or what you know Chuck D do in their off time, you know?" And 
And that's I, what makes the story. Yeah, and I realized that's what fucking <laughs> makes the story. That's when I realized I was different. Right. <laughs> it's good to be different, right? Yeah. I just think you know there was a depth that I, I just was a junkie for that stuff. You know, any magazine. My dad got the first copy of Spin in 1985 sent mm. to him. You know, uh, who's on the cover? Madonna. Madonna. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you know, I remember seeing that, and then I remember seeing the first issue of Vibe. You know, with Snoop and. Um, that and, was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, and the, the, the ascension of Vibe, like the initial days of Vibe, was like super magical. Man. Yeah, who was it? it? Was like Naughty by Nature. Naughty it was Tretch. Yeah, the iconic cover of Tretch. Those early issues Snoop, of Vibe yeah. like hit me, you know. And, yeah. and then the Source, you know, what what Dave and those guys did in the early days, you know, was really uh, incredible. So I, I think, yeah, having a having a parent in that world, it just interested me, you know. So now, now you worked at the Source, but you you did sales. Right. Yeah. Which is completely different from, I guess, the editorial side. Right. Yeah. How yeah. was that for you, man? Um, it was an interesting. Uh, it was an interesting run. Did you want to do sales? Yeah. I mean, I came up through through the sales side. I right. think that was the one thing. You know, I went I went to school for journalism and got a journalism degree and loved writing. And you know, I wrote all through college for the local newspaper, for the student newspaper, and uh, I had a lot of fun doing you know concert reviews, CD reviews, you know, stuff like that. But then, uh, good, good weed, yeah, getting smoking that yeah, good exactly. weed. <laughs> so <laughs> then I got an internship at Spin, right. you know, on the business side because I was always like, you know what, I want to have my my own magazine one day. So you knew. I don't know how the ads get in there right. and like, you know, <laughs> why. So I, I really got interested in the business side and then felt like, you know, I could always, I've always done like a little bit on the side, especially in the early days of Spin when they started their website. I wrote a lot of things for that and, you know, but but ultimately I I think going to the source and i started working with all the national advertisers like the the fords and the cokes and the pepsis so the big the big the big guys and right. I, and i really learned at the source during that time what those brands were about what they wanted you know and how they worked so i think i was able to like take that knowledge and then really leverage it and start positioning a, a no name artist and a no name brand like fader you know as an influencer to to those brands Internets, this portion of the combat jack show is brought to you by heineken Subway Symphony. 20 years ago, James Murphy came up with an idea to change the harsh turnstile beeps of the New York City subway system into music. He called it the Subway Symphony. Instead of hearing this cacophony of stressful sounding beeps, you would hear something pleasant and even calming. And during rush hour, when most people are passing through the turnstiles, this effect would be even more pronounced. For years, his idea just kind of sat there. But recently, Murphy got together with Heineken. And since Heineken believes in making cities greater, they've teamed up to make Subway Symphony happen. The goal is to generate support to make Subway Symphony a reality. The turnstiles have to make a sound, so why not make a beautiful sound? Why not make beautiful music? If you want to help make Subway Symphony happen, it's really easy. Just use the hashtag, hashtag Subway Symphony, to share your support. Once again, that's hashtag Subway Symphony to share your support. Subway Symphony is just the first in a series of legacy projects backed by Heineken. Heineken wants to champion those who have an idea to make their city greater. So be on the lookout for more projects in cities across the country in the future. And watch the documentary of the journey to make Subway Symphony a reality and learn more about the project at SubwaySymphony.com. And it doesn't hurt that Heineken is an amazing, amazingly great-tasting beer. It's probably my favorite beer that I like to drink when I go to the bodega. Subway Symphony. Hashtag Subway Symphony. And now back to the show. How difficult was it to get a check from these big brands, particularly in, you know, kind of like bridging the impossible gap between corporate and hip-hop? 
I think it was at a time where that was. I, I came to the source in in two thousand. Okay. And I think but things that, were changing. Things were things had already flipped. Dave and 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 Benzino was still there. Yeah, they were there, and uh, I think brands though at the time, I, I mean. Look, the source at that time was selling more copies of their monthly magazine than both of Rolling Stone's issues combined mm. on the mm. newsstand. Right. About almost half a million copies a month. And I think brands realized, you know, and Sprite was one of the first ones to jump on yep. it. They realized, like, they, you know, they, they jumped on the culture. Some did it right. Some did it wrong. You know, some were co-opting it and, and just falling on their face. And, you know, so I think there was... A, a gap, and that's what when Rob and John started Cornerstone and ultimately the Fader. I think there was a gap in the people who had the ability to kind of marry brands with cool emerging music and no name artists. It was easy to sign like Michael Jackson to Pepsi, you mm -hmm. know. Um, it was easy to do things like that and cut a big check. But you know, it was it was so it was a struggle. Like coming to the Fader the first few years, I did like twenty meetings a day with anyone who would listen to me. Right. You know, running around the country like to these brands and that doesn't sound like fun though. Man. It was not. Right. It was not, but I did it because I, I believed in it and right. I felt like there was really something there, you know, and, and I think uh there was people who laughed at me, there was people who were like, This will never happen, you know, and then there was some brands that really, you know, like actually understood what I was at least trying to say at the time. So what what, is, what are your memories of some of your biggest wins back then? Oof. I mean in the early days of in the early days of uh, Fader, I think getting some of the big car companies because they were always the most conservative and the the most looking for the biggest reach and you know the most eyeballs and all that stuff. So I think getting uh, getting like Chevy, you know, and brands like that into the magazine early and Coke, um, I think those were the big ones because I'm like, here's a small Cirque magazine, you know, that has artists that no one knows on the cover, you know, um, and I. I we were able to crack through a little bit. Is the mindset changing with these big advertisers? Because I'm realizing, and I think most of us are realizing right now, it's not how big your reach is. It's how, it's how, uh, uh, what's the word? How, how it sticks to the audience, how intimate it is with the audience, how niche it is with, the, is, is that changing in the mindset of the big advertisers? I mean, <laughs> she's like, yeah. I don't want that question. <laughs> no. no, so, you you know, here's the thing. I mean, look, advertisers always need reach and scale, right? right? right. And they're going to buy media. We I always call it media by the pound, mm -hmm. you know, where they're going to find things that have 50 bajillion, you know, whatever's a month. Like, to me, that's all bullshit. Like, it, it, it's we, what, what we've been trying to do is stay pure, right? And be about quality content, quality content over quantity of right, content right, right you know i think we realize we need some velocity and we need to have some speed but at the end of the day what separates fader is the depth of what we do you know we'll go to like the deep like favelas with diplo and have mm. him write a piece you know on um on sub sub genre of music you know i think we spend the time resources money and it's it's really driven by passion you know like people like naomi and, and her team that just voraciously eat music, you know, like 24-7, and they need to know what's going on. So the, the big brands now finally, I think, have seen, like, this sweet spot, and they understand now quality over quantity right. and having that balance. Right. I think brands today, right, also are really attracted to this idea of genreless emerging music and discovery. I think that they know that their consumers are kind of, like, not – you know, don't define themselves in any one way. So nobody wants to peg themselves as like, oh, we're like a rock whiskey brand or we're yeah. a hip hop car brand. Right. Everybody, I mean, right. So just when I'm asked to kind of help book talent on these things, I think that that's something I've noticed uh, just sort of increase over the years that people are really interested in this kind of like 
undefinable identity of their young consumers. And I think that we're, we've positioned ourselves very nicely to kind of like help, help brands. Um, yeah. Can you talk about Cornerstone and like, you know, how that fits in or like how you guys fit into that universe and just how they grew with the South by Southwest thing? Yeah, I mean, well, well, the South by Southwest stuff, that's us. You know, that's Vader. That Cornerstone doesn't really have anything to do with that. I mean, Cornerstone, just for, for the understanding of the relationship, so Rob and John started Cornerstone as a, as a promotions creative agency. Independent. Independent. Of, right. Um, and I think what happened was is in the early days of Cornerstone, they Rob had uh, some relationships with, with people at Sprite because Sprite worked with some of his artists at Arista. And I think what happened was is that they realized there was that space between brands and, and music that the brands trying to go to artists themselves, you know, were like sticking their heads into a hornet's yeah. nest. Uh, you that's know? real awkward, man. Yeah. And, and you know, they, there was just, I mean, you guys know as well as us, like how nuanced dealing with music is. Like the difference between two artists, you know, they look at it, uh, what's the difference between rapper A and B? And like we could be like, yo, like there's a huge too, yeah, difference, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, trust me. Um, but so, so yeah, I, th I think, um, I think we just kind of found this, uh, ability to start a, a marketing company that, but then evolved into the fader, which was really born out of Cornerstone. So their run is two totally separate companies. Um, Rob and John own both of those companies. And I think that's really the, the proper kind of way of, of how they relate to each other. But fader is its own, you know, uh, own kind of business and it's, it's, has its own identity own staff. You know, we share some office space and accounting department. So, but you just said that 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 South by Southwest is yours. Yeah, but like, the, fa the Fader like Fort. Right. Yeah, the Fader Fort we started, which is amazing, by right. the way. That's the fucking place to be when you're in South by Southwest. Thanks, man. No, it's it's, it's the fun. most fun. I mean, there's other places that you go to other destinations, but that's the final destination. Internet's. If you've never been to South by Southwest, man, definitely go to. Fader Fort, find yourself a bench and just stay the fuck there and the world will pass you by in a good way. You'll see everything and everybody. Yeah, I mean, it, you know what? It's really a great culmination for everything that Fader has done and stood for. It, it's bringing all of these artists, you know, a, a big thing for Fader in the early days was, was live events because, mm -hmm. you know, if I put, you know, someone that no one knows what they look like on the cover, like, what does that really mean, especially without the internet, you know? So bringing these artists like we mm. when MIA we brought her over uh helped her get her visa brought her here for the first time did a show with her at a raw space on the west side where there was no stage she just performed with a mic on the ground and I think we had just put her on the cover she had no record deal um people were like you know who the hell is this why is she on the cover right and I think bringing them out live so I think the events has, has always been a very important thing um to be able to experience the brand like to bring the print to life so I think the fort was born out of that whole mentality um, and originally just was to create a space for artists to come chill before their big official shows. And, you know, they started playing some music and we're like, let's build this. And then over the past 14 years, it went from uh, a one room hotel suite to 50,000 50, people in, right. in four and a half days. Do you so. think it's getting like too big? I is think it, it, is, I think two years ago it did. Right. I think it it hit a critical mass about two years ago. Um, was that the one when Puffy was there? Or was it? No, this was the one. This was the one the year where they had the big accident at South oh, yes, by Southwest, yes, 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 and I, yes. and I think that was very um, emblematic of the influx and the overflow of people, brands, and it just felt like you're in Times Square at that point. The spirit you know? wasn't right. Right, and I and I'd been going there. This was this past year was my twentieth year going wow. to South by in a row, and I. So I have a good feel for how it's, you know, lived and how it's evolved. 
And I think that year just felt weird. It felt like just too much. So then last year, there was a big dialing back. What happened is South by gave out a hundred less permits right. for events, right. and they reeled it back in. Did you have concern when when they started reeling back with regard to the permits and not? We we weren't concerned, right. you know, per, personally for for us. Because you run the shit, you don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I would never say that. Right, but, but, but <laughs> I, I said it for you. I, w- I wouldn't say that, but it's totally true. Right. Um, no, I'm just kidding. So uh, yeah, I think I think we were actually happy about it because we felt like it would bring South by back a little bit to what it was always about. Like, the, here's the other big thing. The other thing is that. It got to the point, even with the year with the accident, where there were these giant corporate shows where Amex would bring Jay-Z out, you know. Uh, they had Kanye, like, mm-hmm. a, you know, but big promoted corporate shows with a bunch of people standing around holding their phone up, you know, like no vibe, no energy. Nobody's tripping. Not a party. You know, it's not a party. Right. These are just like, you know, big check deals, right? Mm-hmm. And they felt that way. and. And it wasn't what the spirit of South by was always about. Right. It was always about who's next. Like, first of all, there was no rap there ever until Fader started bringing rappers there. Right. Um, now it's a huge rap event. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's like the premier it's, destination. It's dominant. Yeah, right. exactly. So, you know, I think we, what we really wanted to do was built, like, stay true to that. And that, that's what the Ford has never changed the same way the magazine has never changed. It's always been about who, who do we want to showcase? Like, who are the 45 or so best acts of the 1500 that are down here and pull them into one space now the real story is that we just were getting old and lazy and didn't want to run around the city so like let's just bring everybody you <laughs> right, know, to right, us right right so. can we talk about some of your, your covers man some of your iconic covers you guys gave kanye the f- first co- what was that like man like like talk about like why kanye at that point and 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 and, and did you know did you guys have a, a, a sense that this guy would be such a huge star I'll I'll be Rob Stone right now and tell yeah. the Kanye story. I want to hear the Kanye story. I think I mean well I think what's really interesting was at the time that we put him on the cover, he was still largely known as a producer, yes. right? He was still that guy that nobody wanted to hear rap when he was kind of coming around. Everybody was like Kanye, go back and do your Pro Tools or whatever. Um, and I think that you know Fader has since done that, put a lot of producers on the cover, been really first to cover producers and kind of acknowledge them as as important as they are. But Kanye came up to the office. Uh, and start started rapping, got up on a table, kind of like, you know, at, at 15 minutes later, the entire office was in Rob Stone's office. But was it, like, annoying, like, dude, get the fuck out, or, like, no, dude, he's hot? <laughs> I think people were like, what? And then people <laughs> were like, wow. I both of those things are right. Yeah. Right, right, right. I got a fucking, I got a meeting after lunch. Can you leave? So, and then, <laughs> you know, they did the story, and there's actually, there's a story uh, that one of, our former editors told in this oral history of the Fader that we published as part of this 100th issue of that, you know, after they had shipped this issue to print, Kanye still wanted to finish the interview. He had more to say. Really? Of course. You know, which is really, I think, emblematic. That's awesome. Yeah. But, um, I mean, that cover was amazing. And then and then there's another Fader Kanye cover that was done during 808s, mm-hmm. yes. which was another point in his period that, I, or a point in Kanye's career that a lot of people are talking about now, right, that he's revisiting. But that people were confused by, didn't know what he was up to. He was sort of in this weird phase where he was like blogging and talking a lot about art. And that's an amazing, you know, story where he led us into his LA house for a couple weird days, you know, like, so. But then, but then he ran up on Rob and I on, uh, on second Avenue about what, that cover. What'd he say, man? He did not like it. Really? Yeah. Did he, did he see he it? He wrote the headline on, what was his site at the time? Or is Kanye West the, University yeah. or something uh, like that? Yeah, Kanye University yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like that, yeah. In all caps, it said, I love the fader, but I fucking hate this cover. Right. Right? So 
uh, Rob and I saw him on the street with Amber one night, and uh, he came up to us, like, just shaking his head. He's like, man, you know, it's like, you guys, you made, me. You guys made me look silly, you right. know? Um, it was, it was, what was the cover was again? Was, what, what, was, Kanye, what was the cover? It was him in the, it was, it was just him with these orange glasses right, on, right, like right. just kind of staring up. So, but, uh, we worked it out. What was your response to him when he said that? <laughs> I was like, man, like, you know, you, 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 you put yourself out there. Like, you know, we are a magazine. Like we, we're going to put up what we think looks best. And, you know, we caught that moment. Kanye. Works. We yeah. caught that moment. <laughs> like, sorry, um, sorry, so, man. So how, what's your relationship with Kanye now? We look. Our relationship with Kanye has been great. You know, we, through all of his ups and sideways and downs and craziness. You know, I think we've always had a special place for him. He's always been an artist like a Drake and Rihanna, who have, who has really stood for what Fader's all about. You know, the inventiveness, uh, the ingenuity, his innovation, his you know ideas, his creativity, uh, his diversity. I think all of those things. You know, like Kanye really is an artist who. You know, I would put up there as an argument for like the the one who maybe symbolizes Fader the most of of any artist out there. That's dope. And mm-hmm. and he still you know he still returns our calls. That that's hot, man. Yeah. What about Little B, man? I, I know there's a big story about <laughs> Little B, man. Little Little B, boy. Then you have him blocked. <laughs> then you block Little B. We had to. I had to at one point. This was in the old days because he used to come up to the office all the time and like he would walk around just handing his mixtapes out. Right. You know and. and People, our security, Did you know our who security, he was? No, not at all. I, Did I, you like his rapping? I didn't. I would just flip him in the garbage, right? You know, like, uh, I, like in all honesty, right? I didn't know who he was. I thought it was an intern, you know, like, and it was just weird, you know. And then when Twitter kind of started doing its thing, it was like every day he was hitting me and Fader and whoever was like attached. I need that to cover, Fader. man. Like, I need he, that cover, man. Was just, he asking for a cover? No, he wasn't even asking for a cover. He just wanted to like. I think he just wanted to hang out, you right. know, like he wanted to like, he just want he wanted to be down. He wanted us to like co-sign him. And and it was interesting because then as some of our writers on staff at the time, like, like really started gravitating towards him, I think, you know, so I, I unblocked him and, you know, we, we, we did some really fun stuff. Nah, Little B is special, man. You don't want him to put any spell on you, you know, and get that curse. Get that curse. I don't want that curse. I know I don't want that. Frank Ocean. You guys caught him at the right moment. That was his first cover, right? Yep. Can we talk about that? That was another one where it was almost even like we were really approaching him as a songwriter. It was even before he became, it was before the album came out. It was mm-hmm. before he was really known as this front man. It was before the big Tumblr note, right? Um, it was before that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yep. trying to like, yeah, not totally. a couple months maybe. Um, I think... I, it, that was one of those ones where it was really like off the strength of one song. Thinking about you, I'd hit the internet, that unfinished version. And, you know, we had known who he was and kind of watched him coming up on the fringes of the Odd Future crew. Um, but that song was just like one that everybody on staff fell in love with. And we felt like he was such an incredible writer that he had this way with words and that we really just needed to understand a little bit more. Um, I remember that was a really quick photo shoot. That was one of the, right? Yeah, I don't think we had the same amount of time that we're, we're normally given. For you know, photos. For I think photos. that they hung out for a while. That's, yeah. It's a beautiful story. I really like that one. It's still, and, and, and like I think about that story, and then uh, Frank Ocean later performed with Bon Iver at this mm-hmm. event that we had, which was like this miraculous thing that he actually came and he delivered this amazing performance. And I think of that as like, I, I just can't believe it happened. And it feels very like something that may not happen again i had hair before that show <laughs> it's funny how fast the hair goes right Yo, at a man, certain age I'm telling you yeah um 
you guys are venturing out also into like other 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 mediums. Like you guys are doing, you guys are actually doing your own videos now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys started out with Amigos. Yeah, we did. Uh, was that the first one? Yeah, I think the that first was. one we did was actually Awful Records. I don't know if you okay. know these guys. No, we, I've heard of them, but I don't know. It's like an Atlanta crew. We had hung out with them when we did a McConan story last summer, and they came up for CMJ, which is our fort in New York. Mm-hmm. And we made a video like at this photo rental space with them on the street. Duncan, who's a writer at Faders, in the video. It's it's that video is amazing. But yeah, but then shortly after we went uh and hung out with Migos in Paris. That's a nice video, man. Did that video? That's Migos are great. Who hung out? You hung out in Paris? I was no, like listen, man, I I I'm doing a really bad job in my post of sending myself on nice trips, yeah, I have you to need say. To. Yeah. Uh, but I no, I, I don't make videos, so I wasn't I wasn't out there. But right. that was incredible. They went to Paris and Amsterdam, and then I think we also the the best or one of the the sort of biggest video we did this year that I think was a culmination of an amazing relationship we've had. Somebody who we did their first cover was we went down to Atlanta and did a future video, mm. uh, sort of right as Fifty Six Nights was dropping. Um, and I think that really for us like teed off this amazing campaign that the, he's had for the second half of the year. The most views we ever had on a fader video was about a million. We're at twenty five million. Jesus oh, fucking nice. Christ! Man. Yeah, that's it's, nice. It's a trap. Shout out to future. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's nice, man. Trap and then a word I don't. Yeah. Okay. You know. Trap ends. Yeah. Right. Any yeah, regrets? Like any regrets in terms of like people you could have put on the cover that pe- like things fell through? Like you know, like shit. Like I mean, I'll Naomi could take that one but what i would say about that is we do the best we can right like given that we're playing in a space almost of like gambling right where right. we're we're putting someone out there that we believe in we don't do it in the hopes that this person's going to be the next you know rihanna or drake we do it because we love what they're doing at the time a lot of times it hits and it's great you know and sometimes it doesn't you know but i don't think that we're we consider those real failures i think there are certain artists too that for whatever reason, at that time period when we have a two-month planning cycle, like, just, you know, we can't can't make it work for whatever right. reason or not. And then we miss it. Right. So, You guys ever walk away from a cover because it might be too controversial? Not yet. Not yet. Not in my experience. I, no. I, I don't think we've ever walked away from a cover midstream yet in my time, which I think is, like, a credit to the artists that we've worked with as well. Yeah. As, yeah, I mean, things just working out. I think they're increasingly now i mean i find right now that i feel we only do so many covers a year and i feel often that i'm saying no to artists that i would like to say yes to right and i think the big struggle for me or the big challenge for me that i that i hope to change is that you know i want people to feel just as excited about doing a feature story on our website as they might be doing our cover doing a video documentary with us you know i think that sometimes especially now that so many albums have this short runway promo it's really hard to plan out and i i don't I don't want our covers to always be pegged to albums. I really just want to tell the stories that we want to tell. And it's I think it's a challenge for me to really pitch people and explain to them that when we're doing something for our website, you know, if if we're going to put money behind it, if we're going to put people behind it, it's going to be the same quality product. Yeah. And, and that we want to we want to do that more than 12 times a year. Yeah. So I think that's that's where we're at right now is really trying to bring bring more people into this. It's something you just said that 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 I subscribe to here at the Combat Jack Show. I hate interviewing i mean i'll take them when i can but i hate interviewing artists during their album cycle like i i want to interview artists when it's their downtime but the but the mindset the 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 way the rhythm of the 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 industry is like dude we're doing our press run right i don't want to fucking do the press runs because i think it's counter counterintuitive to, to to what we do and that's been huge for fader right is like i mean a part of the sort of like 
the talk we have with people at the beginning of this cover cycle is explaining to them that we don't want to talk. We literally we cannot visit radio stations with right, you. Right. We do not want to that meet you in your labels conference room. Right. <laughs> and that's a big, I mean, you know, I think we understand that interviews happen that way. But for these cover stories, which are sort of our, our like the biggest gift that we can give or the most real estate that we have, like it's very important for us. Um, to see somebody's real life. And I think that can mean a lot of different things. It doesn't always mean going to somebody's house or hanging out by their pool or whatever. Watch them make pancakes. It can mean a lot of, I mean, I remember on top. One, <laughs> my, my favorite, honestly, one of my favorite fader stories ever is when we went with French Montana to Morocco. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Incredible story. Fucking story. And to his team's credit, right, I, I believe that, that it was kind of an idea hatched by us all, this right. like, crazy scheme, and I can't believe that it was that he, he Did he really meet? He really had his trip planned, right. and he really, like, and we were really there for all of right. it, for him getting ice cream, at, you know, in, at night and riding a camel and meeting his father for the first time. And, you he know, met like, his, yeah, he, he met his father for the that. first yeah, time. Yeah. And, and I remember, you know, something that we look at a lot is, like, you know, I, I think on the internet and people read now on their phones all the time, it's like, how many minutes are people actually reading these stories for? Like, I love when things have gotten shared a lot and clicked on a lot, but ultimately it's really satisfying for me to see that people on their phones right. are looking at something for eight minutes. Right, 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 right. And I remember with that story and credit to Zach Barron, who's an incredible writer who works at GQ now, but like, just that was a story that was really written. Anybody could have read it, anybody could have connected with it. And so many people. Uh, really read through the whole thing and I think that saw French Montana in a new light. And for us, that's all we want to do, right, is like kind of elevate people to the level, you know, to show, to show people how substantial these characters really are. And 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 oftentimes, right, that's a story that goes completely beyond music. That French Montana story barely touched on his music, yep. you know, and I think that... Those are the best stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those Often. are the best stories. I think another part of that whole puzzle is the photography and our approach to photography has never been like, yo, get your cane and your, like, you know, pimp hat and here's the, the cup, pimp cup. Yeah. You know, it's really, we like, we, we call it and we, we call it like fader is almost national geographic because we want to capture artists in their own environment, whether it's in the studio or, you know, backstage at a show or, you know, in a car going somewhere or, you know, I mean, we, I always use the example. We had a, we did a story a long time ago on, uh, on Atlanta and we had a photo of Bubba Sparks pushing the garbage can down his driveway. Mm. You know, and I think that that's the thing that artists relate to as well, is that everything is done in, like, a very natural, organic way. It's not these big staged things with, like, all kinds of props. And, you know, I think the photography is another big way we, we like to tell these stories. Last question. Top five covers. I would say I, I'll, I'll go. I think Miles Davis, when we did mm. our Icon issue, that, that photo that Anton Corbin took, had never really been released out out of his private collection. He gave it to us for the cover. That's one of the most striking images I think I've ever seen. Like I could close my eyes and see it, you know, like down to the detail. Um, I think, you know, for there's different reasons for the for the covers being in like a top five. Um, I think having it, we have one issue where we had the white stripes on one side and the Neptunes with yeah. Morel and Chad on the other side. I think that I would put that as like two and three because. It was both of their first covers. Um, I think uh, one of my top five was Kendrick because I also think we nailed a moment, like a huge pending moment with him and his whole Black Hippie crew and TDE. Uh, they gave us like access that I don't think they've ever given before or since. Um, and then what else? What would be? We're at three. Think of it. Yeah, we're at three. Man, got two more. Uh, I think the Frank Ocean cover yes, is definitely big, big, one of my big, favorites. Yeah. Um, and then 
this year, I don't know. I love, you know what? I love the Young Thug cover. It's a good cover. I love the way it was shot. He's such an interesting looking character. The the whole <laughs> dynamic of the setup of that, the way that looked. I, that was a good piece also. One it was a really, good piece. Like he was in, I love that was he in his house or was he in his bando? Like where the fuck was he? He was at Pee Wee's house. Yeah. And then they were at Metro's house too. Okay. I remember Metro Boomin being really upset that we called him out on his house being messy. Yeah, because weed all over. Not it was upset. Messy Boomin. Messy yeah. Boomin. Yeah. <laughs> so now he's clean. He's clean, right? How about you? Uh, oh, man. I think uh, for me, that Lil B cover story, actually, which was also kind of an odd future story, was mm-hmm. a real moment. I think that that was an excellent piece, just like such an encompassing story. Uh, Take a call their own Beanie Man was one that I remember mm-hmm. reading when I was like, you know, before I worked at Fader. That was really, I think that is really emblematic of how Fader has always been like a truly global brand, kind of like a real New York brand. And low-key, that's one of the best-selling issues in really? the history of Fader. Very, very surprising. Internationally or domestically? All, just in total, wow. in total. Wow. Rick, is Rick Rubin on the other side of that one? Yes. Okay. Re- also a really good story. That's a good one. Uh Oh, man. I think... I, I'm really... This year, I was really proud of the Migos cover that we did. That's I thought one. that the photos were beautiful, and I thought that the story was really, uh, again, like just kind of bigger than you thought it might be um i'm like who's a lady that i want to shout out right now i know no ladies no we, i mean we got lots of ladies we really no have. i'm saying but we, 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 we've we, gone very over the past couple of years man like a lot of female artists you got janelle monet on there yet no no that's never been a fader cover. that'd be dope i think like it's what we did a carrie hilsley cover a million right. years yeah, ago yeah, yeah. um santi gold there's been lots of mm, good ones. santi gold uh yeah I mean, I think Kanye really is the defining fader cover, you know, because I think that at that moment, you know, really was a moment. I think the Aaliyah icon issue, actually, that was that's that's that is a collector's one. I think that's one that I remember some of the photos in there are like photos that I just remember seeing for the first time. uh, Photos of her with her best friend that are just like some of, I don't know, really amazing memories. And a lot of people, you know, Missy spoke for that. Tim spoke for that. That's dope. Really like. You know, I think now we've we've all heard a million Aaliyah stories. It's right. like somebody in our hundredth issue we did an interview with a writer, and he said, "If I if I knew that I was going to get sick of people making Aaliyah reference points, if that's where writing was going to go, I would be so surprised." But that, that's crazy. At yeah. the time, that was we were really kind of that was a big story. And I, I got a, a the reception buzzed my desk one day, and uh, they said, "I don't know if this is real, but someone saying that Aaliyah's mother is on the phone." Really? Yeah. So I, I took. How, how do you answer that? Are you like shit? Did we fuck up? Like I was. I, I'm not going to lie. I was like, fuck. right. You know, I'm like, what the hell is this going to be about? Yeah. Like, is this going to be good or bad? Because there's been uh, so much controversy with regard to yeah, her, people jumping onto her legacy. Yeah, Ooh. that and, you know, a lot of family drama and, you mm-hmm. know, all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. that everybody could go read on the Internet. But, um, you know, it, it turned out it was a very it was a very positive call. She was very happy with the story. She felt we did, you know, Aaliyah a lot of justice. Um, That's dope. You know, th- I think she was very emotional about it, you know, so there was some crying and there was some laughing. and It was a, a very nice conversation ultimately. But that that's something that has happened a bunch of times. I mean, Frank Ocean's mom called, uh, you know, to thank us and, you know, wanted to know where she could go buy a copy. Has I anyone, think we could hook you up. Has anyone ever demanded that you take the cover down? No. The only thing that's happened... After, like a, as a postscript, when we release a drop a cover, is um, sometimes I'm not going to name names, but this is funny. Sometimes <laughs> some of the rappers, like for whatever reason, have their girlfriends or their second girlfriends or their third girlfriends, like in their apartments, like at these photo shoots. Mm, the and side, then we, and, side pieces. And then we print it. Right. And then they kind of roll up on me, like, 
Why, why the fuck you got my side piece yeah. in it? And we're like, yo, we're, we're why was she at the shoot? A feature story yeah, yeah, yeah. for a national publication. <laughs> you know, so the, I got to go back and look through some issues. <laughs> yeah, so that that I would say there's there's a solid three of those. Awesome. But, um, and then one time, you know, uh, we we mentioned some areas of where certain artists' family lived, right? And they did not. I can yeah, I can understand. I can. Your proudest moment, Andy? Oh man, I. You know, up until Fader 100, you know, at, at putting Usher with the Afghan wigs mm. together at South by Southwest was personally like one of the most fun things I've ever gotten to work on. But I mean, it's Fader 100 right now is really uh, been very satisfying on a lot of levels. It, it's been a real, real hard struggle. And Naomi has not slept in about four months. Her team, you know, has been busting their ass 24-7. You know, our, you go hard, Naomi. Yeah, she does, man. And our whole <laughs> team, do. like our whole team, like down to like the the the, the mailroom, the interns. Like it took a monumental effort, and uh, I I I have to say this is definitely one of our, our proudest moments. I mean, and, and we we don't we're not big on the self congratulatory stuff. We've never done an issue like this before. What a shit! Yeah, and never been like a, hey, congratulate us on stuff. Right. Like, it almost feels weird, but it felt right for us at this point. Sixteen years being dedicated to emerging music. And no name artists and being, you know, at, like being at the forefront. You know, I, I think we, we were able to take a little step back and do something big. You know, what's amazing. Um, I get I got a subscription to, to Fader. And I think what's amazing is when every issue comes, my 17 and 18 year olds go crazy as to whose issue it is. Like they fight over the fucking issue. And to, you know, you know, having teenagers, how these kids are jaded and they're into their own scene and. Seeing something that I'm into that gets them more excited is amazing, man. So congratulations, man. Thank you. And thanks thanks so much for having us. Thank you, guys. And, and congratulations, Internets, Andy Cohn, and Naomi Zeichner yes. of, 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 of Fader, Fader 100. Congratulations, Appreciate guys. Appreciate that, guys. Thanks Thank so much. Thank you. Thank you. Internets, this portion of the Combat Jack Show is brought to you by FanDuel. Well, let's take this break right here and talk about FanDuel. I told you before about FanDuel, but I hear not enough of you have signed up. And y'all are making me look bad with these fine people that are trying to support the Combat Jack show. It's not enough to say you fuck with the show. You got to support its sponsors, too. And FanDuel is a great place to start because FanDuel is paying a lot of money to you motherfuckers this NFL season. Specifically, FanDuel payouts are more than any other site. I'm talking about over $75 million a week this football season. Last year... Fucking Joe Watson from New York turned a $50 deposit into over $30,000, bitches, in two weeks playing fantasy football on FanDuel. Are you fucking kidding me? And you're sitting out not listening to this fucking thing and going and playing FanDuel? Join him and the over 1 million other users who have already won money. In fact, it's easy. Let me show you how to do this, son. We're setting up a private league this weekend just for Combat Jack show listeners. Go to FanDuel.com slash Combat and create your team today so you can play against me, Premium, Jonathan Mena, and A-King that's about to get in the room right now. 50 of us in the league. So make sure you sign up ASAP. Plus, with us in the league, all the New York Giants about to go fast. If you want Eli not painting on your team, you better sign up before I grab him. Pause. And no matter who you grab, pause. Building a team is just as easy. Pick your players, stay under the salary cap, and sit back on Sunday and watch your team win 
entry fees start at just a dollar, and anybody can play here. Go to FanDuel.com and click the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use my code COMBAT, C-O-M-B-A-T, and sign up right now. And for the private league, go to FanDuel.com slash COMBAT. Special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it up to 200 bucks that gets earned as you play. That's a bonus of up to $200. Offer is only good for the first 50 people that use my code COMBAT. C-O-M-B-A-T today. Don't forget to use my code COMBAT. FanDuel.com where every day is a new season. That's FanDuel.com. Sign up today and get this good money. Don't ever say I didn't give you shit. Get this money right now. And now back to the show. Internets, you're tuned into the Combat Jack show. What's up, Pete? What's going on, Combat? Man, I just feel real conscious right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So ridiculous. Because we're sitting right here <laughs> okay. with the world's greatest, most conscious <laughs> rapper and producer the that fuck? was ever mm-hmm. formulated on the planet of consciousness. <laughs> the conscious planet. We got, we got the most conscious. You know what? This episode is just called Consciousness. Yo. Internet, let's welcome to the Combat Jack Show, Talib Kweli and Ninth Wonder. Yay! Yeah, 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 yeah. Yo, what's up, yo? We're like conscious superheroes. Yo, man, what? Captain Planet yo. and his trusty sidekick. I, yo, formulated, dude. I have such conscious a, man. I have such an issue with the term consciousness. Really? Tell We're me. Conscious. You know why? No, tell me why. Um, and then maybe we'll talk about some of the recent events that's been going on with you. Um, I had somebody once come up to me um, and say, yo, man, you're the most conscious brother I know. Cool. And I'm not going into it, okay. but, but I felt it was like from where they were coming from, right. they were giving me props. But it was, at the same time, I thought they were putting me in a corner because there's so many different, there's so many mm-hmm. layers right now in 2015 of what conscious means, con- what conscious rapper or conscious producer means. As a matter of fact, I read that when people say that, it's kind of like you're not relevant. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Or you don't have teeth, like motherfucker. I won't smack the shit out of you. I think it depends on where who's saying it. It depends on who's saying it, but because of who, so because of who's saying it, right? A lot in terms of when they delineate who is who. I mean, well, you know, me and Knife, we have this album together, Indie Five Hundred. Okay, uh, one it's of not called f- it Conscious Album Album. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's Knife. What and- up, Knife? What Indy up, my nigga, knife? What up, man? Yo, let's up? smoke this key tonight, my nigga. smoke the key. Word up. Let knife, we gonna get into when I took knife to the Hurricane Chris concert. Oh, word, word. <laughs> <laughs> he loved it. But on this album, me and Rhapsody got a song nice. um, called Every Ghetto, produced by High Tech. Mm-hmm. And one of my lyrics is, they think consciousness mean a nigga ain't rugged until you get beat within an inch of it. Self-made niggas don't get discovered. And um, of course, you know, consciousness and music is something we, we come from. Yes. We all gentlemen of a certain age, mm-hmm. like fine wine, mm-hmm. you know, and you remember. And a certain cloth, too. Yeah, a certain, cut from a, a certain curtain cloth. cloth. And, um, you know, we see the world and we remember certain discussions that happened in our communities before the Internet. Yes. And when everyone just didn't jump into your discussion, you had to be down by law. And because you had to be down by law, you had to be active in the community. You know, the first hip hop records, the first great MCs were all cut from that conscious rapper cloth. When you talk about Melly Mel and KRS One and and even Big Daddy Kane was a five percenter. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Rakim, you couldn't up until Nas, right right after Nas, Biggie was the first rapper that didn't have to have such a high degree of what we consider consciousness to be considered one of the greats. But I, but I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a, I'm a um counter you on that mm. biggie might not have had the consciousness that's why i said such the, a but, level but the level yeah. of his artistry 
that brother had some innate consciousness. And that's why I said he, he was first artist to not have right. the same level right. as a Karis one because it was there. Right. The consciousness was there, but it was it was the consciousness of, of your surroundings rather than wearing your Afrocentricity on your yes. sleeve. Yes, yes. 50 Cent once said it. Motherfucker, I'm awake, I'm conscious. That's yeah. right. Mm. You yeah. know what I mean? You know, it's, it's, you know, that comes from the whole boxes thing, trying to put things in boxes. And people like to put things in boxes to make themselves feel comfortable. That's what that is, but it has nothing to do whether you've been to college or not. It's just or read, or read the Quran or if or, you it's just that's right. if you God body and, or and, uh, none of that. Right. You know what I mean? I you know I grew up in Winston North Carolina, and you know all the dope dealers I knew was smart. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. It, they were smart cats. It had nothing to do with did you have a college degree or whatever. They were intelligent people. You know what I mean? And so it has nothing to do with just, okay, I'm a backpacker because backpackers existed in 93, but they ain't carry books in them. They carry mm-hmm. guns. You and, know? And, so and, it, and, and then the box cutters. Yeah, box cutters. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And you know, Black Moon was some of the fun of the first backpackers because mm-hmm. they had a backpack on with some Shout out shit in it. to Kenyatta. That's right. So the whole conscious box was kind of formed later on, you know, and all these different boxes or whatever, but it has nothing to do with you – you know, being a, a road scholar or anything like that, or you saving the whales or none of this shit. Now I've I've heard you know I mean? I've heard some of the, some conscious rap recently from Ross. You know, when Ross oh, goes in his lane, it wasn't woke. no caterpillars. It was a whole bunch of niggas. Fam, you know what I'm saying? That last Ross mixtape, he always been crazy picking beats anyway. Yeah, but now you hear a certain type of I'm awake. Now I'm awake. I actually see what's going on. I'm still a street nigga, but still. You know, and I got street niggas, but still, I have a, a different level of awake, you know, awareness. Yes. Awareness. Yes. I just saw the um, Waka Flocka interview. Same, same thing. Situation. Like, this is what it is. It ain't got nothing to do with being conscious. It's got something to do with being grown, goddamn. Experience, exactly. knowledge, wisdom, knowledge, wisdom, then understanding. You got to have the knowledge first. You get to understand well, and learn. college. It don't matter. But Talib, man, because people want to force this term on you how what's what's your relationship with that word man um i mean you know i love it you right. know like um i agree with everything i said of course because it's the truth um you know being a conscious mc is something that is a beautiful thing but i have to remind people that it's not the end all be all of what i do right just like if you describe jay-z you want to say jay-z the gangster rapper is he a gangster rapper? Nope, I don't categorize him. Well, as has he made some gangster ass music? Of course. Right, but you don't categorize because you know better. Right. But the mainstream media who has one relationship with Jay-Z, they say gangster rapper. Mm-hmm. So the conscious label with me comes from the mainstream media putting me in a box and only having one relationship with me. They know me from Get By, maybe. They know me because Jay and Ye said, said my name. They know they don't know how to process just the nuances or just the layers of everything that come with me. So they have to come up with, okay, that's conscious rap. He's conscious. The same way they would just put Jay-Z in a box. Be like, that's just gangster rap. You know, some people take their cues from the mainstream media, from how corporations and labels have gotten with the media to present this hip-hop instead of really understanding the rudiments of it and understanding that really as MCs, as young black men, you know, when you talk about Jay-Z, that's a young black man from Brooklyn. There's so many more similarities then there are differences in what we do, but people, it's our human nature to play up to differences and look for negative ways to describe things. Then you got then you got uh, a generation of kids now who believe that if you say so many words in a sentence, that means you conscious. The, the, oh, so lyrical miracle. Yeah, lyrical miracle. Definitely means conscious. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? If you say a bunch of, you can be talking about dope 
It don't matter. I mean, they they thought then the way your beat sound, it may be a, you may be seen as conscious. Like for a long time, you got people that thought the Slum Village was a conscious group, mm, right? And they talked about Menage Trois more than anybody. What's, you know what, what I mean? what's up with that three screw? What's up with that three screw? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Jay Dilla rapped exclusively about smoking blunts, driving a Jeep. Going to the strip club. Fuck the police. Fuck the police. All the greatest things in the fucking world. A Detroit <laughs> shit, man. It's Detroit shit. You know, yeah. but but I'm What's up, Pete? Uh, What's going on, <laughs> but I'm torn though because I hate that term because of I think it I do get you, the, But do you hate it because of the connotation? Or? I hate it because of the connotation and maybe the subtle intention to once again take away relevancy and take away the teeth and the fangs. See, I think so, we got to be cognizant of that of people who love the culture. Right. People who contribute actively to the culture. We have to push back against that. Right. Um, we should own that word, though. You know, we should of, own of that course, word. Of the course. same way like you be on Twitter and they be calling people hoteps on Twitter. Yeah. I think that's hilarious. Yeah. But I, I'm one of those. Uh, yeah, but at the ho, end of the day, gonna tap. But yeah, <laughs> but at the end of the day, "hotep" is a great word. Of course, of and course. it means. And if you know better, you can make fun of it. Of course, if you know better. Yes, we can make fun of. There's a lot of whack conscious rappers. Of course, I, I go to a the, lot. I go to the rallies this, and I'll go to the events, the community events. At any given community event, you will find a conscious rapper who solely exists in that space, who shows up at every event to rap at the community event because that's the only place he gets love because he's right. whack. And he got right. and he got mm-hmm. he got CDs. Yeah, there are conscious rap fans who be like. Fuck Drake, fuck Future. That exists, right. and he's handing out CDs. Yeah, nigga, but... don't hand me no CDs. <laughs> don't hand me well, not they, a they, fucking CD in twenty fifteen. That doesn't represent what we talking right, about. Right, that's right. the fringe. Just like there's a lot of trap rappers who are whack. There's a lot of trap rappers who are not Jeezy, who are not Ti, who are not Migos, who are not Future, who are not the upper echelon, the cream of the crop of what they do. Who just riding the wave, trying to get in where they fit in. That's whack too. Of course, of course. But but I'm torn because we had um, Eric Sermon here a couple of weeks ago. And he can't, I mean, Eric is so brilliant with his, with his relationship with music and mm-hmm. the culture. And his gripe was that he feels what's holding hip-hop back in 2015 is every other genre has subcategories or subgenres. And hip-hop is the only one where, yeah, they might throw consciousness around or the conscious rap or gangster rap or trap rap, but there's no delineation. It's all rap. And he was like, he felt that the, 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 the genre, the, the greater genre, would would blossom if we had subgenres so that people knew where mm-hmm. to place. How do y'all feel about that? Because you're dealing with a generation now, and I'm not only talking about young people, I'm talking about just people, period, the way the internet is, the way Spotify and all of this stuff. You're dealing with a uh, generation of people, the zeitgeist of the time, where people don't know how to make choices for themselves. Mm. When we had five channels or six channels, and you can only get some off the radio or CD, you go out to make your own choices. Right. Now you got a TV with 500 channels on there, you can DVR everything, and you got all these social media sites. It's stuff coming from all different ways, so you got to be able to box, put stuff in a box right? just so you can keep it all in line. We we looked at everything in the early 90s as rap. That's it was rap. the rap section in in the store, and it had alphabetical order. It would be too short, then a Tribe Called Quest. I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't no different. Right. You know what I mean? But now... You're kind of going to have to do that. So you agree in a sense that in 2015, the, the, the game has changed. You got to kind of do because now you have a whole section of rappers who are making up their own style. Like there's a difference from what Quali does as rhyming and what Fetty Wap does as rhyming. Right. Not necessarily from a, a, a subject matter, but just the way he's like sing rapping. Stylistically, Stylistically, the production, everything. Right, everything it's different. Is diff- it's a whole different genre. Like it's alternative rock, classic rock. 
It's just a whole different genre. Not say it's good metal, or bad. rock, speed, rock. right? And you don't compare exactly. a metal group to an alternative rock group, right? right. And to see who's better, right? right. You know, and, and that's what he was saying. He was saying because of particularly right now because of the momentum of like say trap, you know, all all other subgenres are getting sucked up under that, and it doesn't really help. You're right. The, the the culture. And the fans and the people on the blogs who have no understanding of the culture, they look into everything through a trend-colored lens. And if it doesn't fit what's trendy at the moment, they're being dismissive of it. Like it's not, like it, like as if it had nothing to do with like what you see. Like it's not dope. Right. Yeah, like it's not dope or like it didn't, If like if that didn't happen, then this would happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that that is a problem. When, when you first mentioned the Eric Sermon thing, I tend not to agree with that. But when you break it down and look at how other genres grew... It has to be like that. Right. My initial gut reaction is, nah, like it's either it's dope or it's not. Because like, we come I, from an era where there was no Right. And I also I'm biased. I have a I have certain experiences. I've traveled the world. I've seen things that allow me to be able to to look at it and take it all in and not and look at okay, well he was born in Atlanta, he's only twenty. Why should he sound like he was born in seventy five in Brooklyn? He shouldn't. Right. You know what I'm saying? So what was it recently about this whole situation with complex that really got you? Um, engaged with Noah Callahan Bever mm-hmm. and, and Angel Diaz and the whole nine. Yeah, Complex and other blogs have made a habit of consistently being dismissive of conscious hip hop. Mm-hmm. It's a punchline for them. And um, they did it, they, they do it all the time, whether they mention me or not. But two years ago, they did it and they put, they did a list of uh, 30 things wrong with hip hop. Number seven was conscious rap is condescending and corny. Mm-hmm. Now, the point that they made. This is the, the, the piece by David Drake. Yes. Who's a good guy. Yes. Yeah. Point they made, I agreed with certain aspects of the, of the point. Not all of them, but certain aspects. What I definitely didn't agree with was having a picture of me and most definitely mm. did. Because I feel Being like... a poster child of... Yeah, I feel like there's nothing I do that's condescending or corny. Right, right, right. So you need to qualify why, why, my, why my pitch is up there. And David Drake was like, you're right. It, it was unfair of me to use your picture because that's not how I see you. Right. But we had an interview. And he apologized to me on the phone and in the interview. He's a st- like, you know, it's funny. I'm not, I don't even want to go on a tangent, yeah. but I've had like, like, like separate interactions with that dude. And he's a really, didn't he just leave complex? He just, I don't like, know. I think he just, but he's a stand up cat, man. But he I respected that. And right. I, I felt like, I felt like when, when, when him and whoever did that with them, they follow him, they being trendy. It's cool. There's a cool thing now on the internet to say you don't like Nas, which to me is sacrilegious. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, it's cool to say I'm dumb as shit and I'm ignorant and I don't know shit and anybody who's talking about shit, I don't want to hear it. Fuck a book. Yeah, that's that's some cool shit. <laughs> we'll get over that. But this is just, I've seen enough seasons in right, my life right, to right, know right. this is just a thing. But that's where we at right now. So Veteran. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So I saw the thing on Complex. I, I said something about it on Twitter and then I left it alone. Two years later, you're doing the same thing, bro. Same exact thing. The same exact thing with a different writer. And so I I thought it was funny. So my first tweet to Complex was, you. it said, I said, you need to stop hiring these lame-ass groupie writers. And I put the smiley faces in LOL. And then I seen Lupe, whose name was also mentioned. And Lupe don't play, man. And Lupe came with the bitch out the gate. Mm-hmm. Like, you a bitch. This is some bitch shit. I agree with that. He is a bitch. There was some bitch shit. But I, I people already look at me like I'm fiery on Twitter anyway. So I was like, I'm a, I, didn't, I didn't say nothing like that. But what happened was the kid whatever his name, Angel, Angel whatever his D- name was. He doubled down. He, he did the opposite of David Drake. And he doubled down on a lot of dumb shit. The idea that me and Lupe's music doesn't work at a barbecue, whatever that's supposed to mean, or the idea that he's just dissing conscious rap fans as if, as if the epidemic right now in hip-hop is people don't like Drake. Drake is fine. Future's fine. You ever been to a Future show recently? They bounce. 
the whole thing is bouncing. Yeah, the crowd is starting a riot outside before Future even shows up. Mm, right. Future don't need your help, bro. Future's okay. It's not an epidemic. Like, for I, I don't see nothing about police brutality on complex the clickbait site. I don't see nothing about that's an epidemic. But 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 that's because what I'm getting what's so crazy to me is talking to some of these young bloggers mm -hmm. and and personalities and and I had a conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago, just a casual conversation and they were like black dude, he was like, "Yeah, but you know, I can't really be out here saying black lives matter cuz you know how I look crazy." Cuz he's a coward. And I looked at the motherfucker. Kids, I was like, cowards, "Really?" B. I, I hope like, the, I really? hope the dude who said that to you was listening, so he oh, can hear listening? me say yeah. that he's a motherfucking coward. And I was like, Shit. for real, this is I, this is your moment. Like, mm -hmm. I'm old. I'm way older than this. Is your fucking moment? That's right. And you're not gonna run with that shit. But beyond even the hashtag Black Lives Matter, the fact which is, is the most yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the safest thing you could do right yeah. now. Beyond that hashtag, there's some real issues going on in our community yes. that that complex is in a position. Angel Diaz is in a position to write about, mm -hmm. and you choose the the thing that's bothering you the most. Is rap purists who are on the fringes, on the fringes. These rap purists you talking about, they don't even support the rap that they claim to like. Right. This is what's bothering you so much that you have to write an article dissing me and Lupe. Like, and then when I did, I don't talk about nothing, nobody on Twitter before I research who they are because mm. I'm I don't like to get into unless I know who you are. I ain't coming at you. Right. So I researched. You're smart. Yeah. yeah, I researched dude a little bit and I seen that he was a hype beast. Definitely, mm. you a fan of like MF Doom and people like that. You was late to Drake. So now you write an article to yourself. I was at Drake's SOB shows before he got signed. I was listening to early mixtapes. I put Kanye on the road before Complex and all these blogs yes, because did. I look at shit for talent. Drake is a little brother disciple. That's right. Drake mm. is a little brother disciple shouting him out on records and all that. We was on that just because you discovered Drake. Now you got a disc rap fans who, who like me and Lupe. Or you feel that now Drake represents your generation. It's like that you got to claim. He's 33, bro. It's yeah. like a dude that been fucking off all this time and decided to go to church and want to stand on the corner with his Bible. Right. <laughs> right. Like Jaheem in that picture with you know what the what purple saying? suit. Like, right. Like, you know, I'm, you know, I done went out here and I done did this with this woman and that woman and da da da. We all looking around like you like was tripping. I wasn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, man, a lot, you know, y'all know, man, a lot of these blogs, a lot of these bloggers, a lot of these new sites, some of, they, some of them are cool. Some of them treat black people like, well, let's follow this black dude to the hood and right. How watch him live in his natural habitat. Right, 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 How right, many right. black really about that life? writers do Complex have? I, I asked that on the internet. No one answered me. You know what? It's funny. The and this is no shots against Complex, but I was just looking through doing research for this episode, I was looking through all their writers and what their favorite sneakers are, mm -hmm. no, what their favorite albums for the 90s I read that were. because I, I did my research. And I was like, hold up, man. Like, after a while, and I'm cool with... with, with of course. No, once again, Complex. Powered by I, I'm, Complex. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not throwing <laughs> shots, but it did feel funny when I only saw one recognizable... One out of black, how many? Black face out of like... And, and what's up, Russ Bankston? What's up? No, what's up, everybody? Well, Russ Benson is not black, but no, I'm not. Are you shouting them out? Because no, I'm shouting them yeah. out. No, Cause, no, no. Cause but I only saw one black. And that out of how many though? It was. It must have been like twelve. Right. 10, so 10 to twelve or something. You mean like writers? That. So less yeah, than less than ten percent black. And yes. you're writing about black culture. Hip hop is black culture. It's, it's, it's Latino culture mm -hmm. from the Bronx, and and people are all hip hop is is the most beautiful thing on the planet because it unites all races. Hip hop is the most unifying thing that we've ever seen. Yes. Hip-hop has united more races, cultures, uh, sexual orientation, religion than anything on this planet. So I am in no way, uh, I, I'm not even a hip-hop purist. I don't think hip-hop should include anybody. Right. But when someone feels the need to throw me and Lupe under the bus 
And then we come back at him and he changes his hashtag name or whatever to all rap matters. Like now you clown us, son. Like right, right. I don't even care that y'all don't talk about uh, real issues and complex. Y'all don't have to. Yeah, because that, I'm that might not that. be a thing. But you're going to clown? You know what I'm saying? You a culture vulture, bro. You have no business in this culture. You think because you bought some Jordans, you like Drake, that you know this culture. You don't know shit. Mm. I, I think the I thought the article was kind of contradictory though, because mm -hmm. you can't be saying I don't listen to Quali or Lupe, whoever at a cookout, and then turn around and say all rap matters. So it's all rap matters. All rap matters. You gotta listen to everything at a, at a, at a barbecue. Right. right. Well, those people probably don't get the right food on the barbecue anyway. And then you and then <laughs> you turn around season the food right. Yeah, they didn't season. <laughs> and then you turn around the next day and you write a list of Quali songs that you could play the barbecue to prove that you a quality fan he right. says to me on the twitter when i hit him up i'm a fan i bought your album but i thought i wrapped off beat which one is it can right. you play me at a barbecue or right. not right i mean i i think you know this is the first time that i really saw them doubling back to 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 to, to make yeah, this that was thing, corny this, make this thing make sense but right and but it I mean, doesn't but and, these but these are conversations that that need to happen and i wasn't even going to go there but you pointed it out man like i said Guys are complex. It doesn't feel good when I look at your editorial staff, the guys that are that are out there. Maybe things have changed. Maybe that mm -hmm. was just that one particular piece, but it doesn't feel good to me. Somebody that you guys have always shown love to and, I, and somebody that I've always shown love to. That's right. I that, show that, a lot of love to Complex. That I don't see more of my people talking about the culture. I'm, I just, I've been up to Complex offices multiple times, you mm -hmm. know, uh, doing different things with different people. I do know that they have a diverse you know, amount of people there, meaning black, Latino, white, you know, uh, mm -hmm. there is, I don't know about writers, right. but haven't, I seen Noah come back and, and write something back to right. you. I mean, I know, you know, from what I know of Noah, I know he's a genuine dude from what I know. I don't know how, I mean, how'd you take that response back and what he wrote back to you? I mean, you know, me and Noah got history, as he mm -hmm. said in his response. Um, and in his response, he said to me, you know, we talked about the Black Star album, his review. He said on Twitter, he said, you know what? You're right. It was unfair of me to compare you to Jesus. So that was you being a hype beast back then. So now you defending this hype beast writer because he's your man. I get it. Y'all got a relationship that's beyond y'all. Him and Angel Diaz got to have a relationship that's way beyond quality that exists, whether I'm mad at Angel Diaz or not. So I feel like as an editor, he was defending his writer. That's my man. There's people who are friends of mine that, you know, what I'm saying I might in public defend them. And then in private be like, nah, you was tripping. Yeah. I don't know if he did that, but I feel like his defense of that was was wrong. I feel like he like this was, is satire. This is sarcasm. Like take it right. Like, like ease up a little bit. Don't be so tight. Well, no, he defended. Right. He defended things like what one is not factual that no one could play quality mute. That's it's not a fact. Right. You know why are you writing about quality flaws in an article? There's a lot of bullshit. Why is your first line of, of is I'm sick of all you old head lyrical motherfuckers? And an editor should have. Why is the pull quote? About me and Lupe. Mm. Why is that the pull quote? There's a lot of editorial things that I felt like was wrong. And I felt like he had no business defending it. But the way that Noah defended it was a respectful way. He didn't de defend it like a 14-year-old on Facebook like your man Angel did. But Noah's still wrong because if you defend a culture vulture, you are an accessory to that crime. Mm. You are complicit. And Noah got upset. I said, yo, if you defend that, you the same thing. He said, I'm a culture vulture now. Well, yeah, you are, <laughs> bruh. You are. And you might, people, Pete respects Damn. you. Damn. Combat Jack respects you. Lupe respects Noah. Mm -hmm. But look, if you was wrong about the Black Star album in 1998, it's not that much of a stretch to feel like you may be wrong about Angel right now. And you wrong, bro. Now, you've been putting up, you've been placed in a, in a difficult position all throughout your career. Even when you and, and, and most came out as Black Star, cats were trying to pitch you 
against the the, the Diddy's of the day mm-hmm. and, and, and the Jay-Z's of the day. Where, and you guys were like, yo, I mean, I, you worked for Puff, right? That's right. Yeah, that's, that's you know, like it goes back to the point I was saying about understanding the similarities more than differences. Right. Um, you know, I mean, look, I'm a I'm a rap fan. I'm not a I'm not a rap fan out of convenience. Right. I'm a fan of hip hop when it's ugly, when it's beautiful. I'm a fan of hip hop when it's violent. You got no choice. And when it's peaceful. You have no choice. I'm a, yeah, I'm a fan. Your, your hip hop. That's right. right. So yeah, there's songs that there's songs that most deaf made that I don't like. Right. There's songs that future made that I don't like. There's songs that future made that I love. There's songs that Knife Wonder made that I love. Like it's like I don't. There's songs that Little B made that I love. That's right. One of them was produced by Knife Wonder, yeah, featuring they, Gene they, Gray. Woo! Sure. Wait, hold, hold up. Gene? Let me let me let me let me just like take a, a detour. Can you tell us about that session, man? Yeah, tell us about that. Session. How did you get my man to get bars into that song? Because Little B has become the, the the butt of the joke for a lot of people, right? In terms of his lyrical acumen but he came to the table with some bars v i I guess that's the misconception about hip-hop man like i don't care where you're from or who you are you know what bars is you know what they are pretty much you know how to you how to rhyme you you either i'm probably as a rapper starting off i'm probably one of the most youtubed beat cats on youtube most cats whether it be lil b whether it be kirk obanes uh young bert all of these cats come up to me like yo i love i love your beats mm-hmm. man you were the first dude i was rapping on his beats on youtube cuz all so you know that's what it is and i knew he could rhyme i, I knew lil b can rhyme he's from he's from the bay what's what's in the bay souls the hieroglyphics dale i mean come on you know e40 it's, it's a lot of there's it's a lot a, of soulful history a lot of, right. in that, in so that you town no if, if you're coming from that there's no way you can't put two three words four words together when you really want to he just found something that worked and he kind of stuck with that so he reached out to me man on um well he did a song with tony yayo and i was like yo he kind of saying a few things in this song wait he, he i don't think i ever heard, yeah, heard yeah he got a song with uh tony yayo how uh, what <laughs> like what the, the fuck sh- is that song about the street like yo like with the heat no, that been crazy. hanging on to my meat. So I'm like, so I'm like, yo, oh, I'm, like I'm like, what's up? You know what I mean? So pause, I, hit him, pause, I hit him on uh, Twitter and I was like, what's up? He was like, man, I said, the joint is dope. He's like, yo, and he hit me on DM. He's like, man, I'm a, I'm a big fan of you, Mad Lib, and everybody. I got right. Quasimodo. And I'm like, I knew something was up. Right, right. So then he's like, send me a joint. I promise I'm going to kill it. And I sent it to him. And I was like, I'm gonna get. And then I sent it to Fonte. Did you, did you have doubts like, though? Did you have some doubts? No. Okay. Okay. I, if I say if he, man, most rappers are gonna do what the beat tells them to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I sent it to Fonte. He's like, I'm gonna jump on it. Then I sent the jeans. Like, I'm gonna jump on it. So all three of us ain't got it wrong. You know what I mean? Me, Gene, and Tay, we we heard something in them. So we went from there, man. It's just it's all a facade, man. A lot of these cats be doing it, man, because they know when again when the zeitgeist at the time. Where everything is at the lowest common denominator, man. As far as the way cats are rapping, you know, a lot of artists use the words dumb down. So that's the thing right now to do is dumb something down. And so a lot of artists are doing that and they know that's what works. But that don't mean they can't rap. Right, right. But, you know, another part of the battle that I find, this shit is exhausting, man. Because as much as I, I battle these cats that, that want to put, you know, people of our stature in a certain box, the, the other battle I have is like, for example, being prominent on social media. When motherfuckers are like, yo, combat, you going to co-sign that shit? I thought you knew better. And I'm like, who the fuck are you? Like, motherfucker, you don't know me. 
right. to be saying you thought I knew better. <laughs> like, like, like I shouldn't be fucking like I shouldn't be excited that that future Drake right. mixtape is coming out, that I shouldn't be giving props to Amigos or even like curious to figure out what this young thug shit is about. Or how about when last week I said that Nico is on the new Indy 500 album mm. and one blog wrote that it was Migos mm. and because blogs are lazy. Mm. One one blog wrote it and every other blog picked it up. Knife hit me like, yo, they said Migos gonna be on the album. I woke up on social media and this kid like, man, I am so disappointed in you, Quali. I thought oh you knew God. better. You don't know better? That made me immediately want to call Migos and get them on the album. Are they on the album? Because I've been reading that the Migos. <laughs> nah, are, they not. They not on the album? Nah, Can we not. get them on the album? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Nico is. Yo, yo, let me tell you, man. What, what, I, what I do appreciate about the Migos is I feel in this, just like how Drake is pushing the art form forward and, mm-hmm. and cast like Future and even Young Thug and, and Rich Homie Quan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they've done a lot to 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 push the 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 sound. They change the whole flow, the whole, the, the, the flow pattern. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Have a family tree of rappers, right? It's like Rakim had a family tree of rappers right after him. There's a couple of rappers in history got family trees. Rakim is one. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Jadakiss is Jadakiss and Styles. Mm, yes, they're another one. Migos has a family tree of rappers right after them that's, because that's of that Migos flow. That's what it's called. You know, that's correct. And as an MC, I gotta respect it. If you start that trend, if you start that everybody wants to rap this way and use this particular structure, that says something about your rhyme style. That sounds like that's right. Internet, this portion of the Combat Jackson is brought to you by Bevel, the superior shaving system with people with coarse and curly hair. Now, all these people are talking about is cuffing season. I talked about is cuffing season. Everybody's talking about Netflix and chill, hardy har. Listen, if you really want to knock the boots, Bevel and chill, have your girl come over. Have a sit in the bathroom. Have a see you pull out that immaculate bevel kit. Start shaving in front of her. Show her that you're serious about your grooming needs. And you will chill. You will get the skins. Internets, go to getbevel.com. G-E-T-B-E-V-E-L.com. Punch in the promo code COMBAT. C-O-M-B-A-T for 20% off all your purchases. Shave like a boss. Bevel and chill. But, right. but what do you say to somebody that's that's so undyingly loyal to Knife Wonder, to, to, to Talib Kweli, somebody that's so undyingly loyal, but then when you show a difference in, 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 in appreciation for music like that, and they get, what do you say to those guys? Like, how do you I take, say trust. how do you talk them off the ledge? I say the trust. I, yeah. I tell them trust, bro. Like, you, you looking at me, you giving me all these props and accolades, you really then know that whatever it is you doing during the day from the nine to five, I do this music. So trust, I know what I'm talking about. Right. You know, even me and Knife even have these discussions between ourselves as artists. We putting out this album. We working on this album. Knife's crew handled all the mixes. I'm like, yo, let me hear the mixes. He's like, bro, you need to trust what I do. And he's right. And most people come out their face and just say shit like, you know, this don't even sound right. But if they give it a listen, if they trust in you, if they if they take some time, you know, to check it out, then most people are like, oh, OK, I fuck with this. Like the little beast. Yeah. I mean, I, no, no, I've, like, I've had some 20 year friendships that when I when I co-sign. Little B's performance at the high, <laughs> the Little B performance at the Highline Ballroom a couple of years ago. It's crazy. I want to say it was one of my top ten rappers because I had I never see seen no shit like that. And I just remember I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I was high though. And I just remember I was standing. And this is, this is I'm not I'm not out here just dropping names, but I was just just in a daze. And Miss Info was like, "Yo, what the fuck are we looking at?" And I was like, "I don't know, but this shit, let's cook." And I had to write about that experience 
And motherfuckers was like, yo, Reg, like, like you really pushing the art form. Like, I, they took it personally, man. Yeah, you can't trust it. Remember I said you got to trust But these it? are cats that but are you can't trust credible people that like have that, contributed though. to the game, too. You can't trust because it means that if somebody is like, if you saying that I saw a live experience and you saying that this live experience and was like, XYZ, trust me, they're like, we can't trust you. Well, then I, I want to trust them people. Right. And that's why they're not your friends no more. Right, right. I want it because that means that they, their intentions of why they're in it is wrong. Because if you're not in it for a pure artistic experience of pure musical experience if you if you already it's the same thing as when you pay attention to politics and you see people or like as you know people who automatically give you all the republican talking points or all the democratic talking points they can't think for themselves they only toe in the party line that's the same thing in hip-hop if, if if somebody like reg if you with your history in hip-hop says i went to the little b show and enjoy it even top if i doubt that internet's top 10 Rap experience of my life. Fight me, nigga. That's because, because, <laughs> word up. Because, look, because I because I have my own brain, right. and I think for myself, and I know your history, even if I think you might be bugging, I need to put something in my brain, like, maybe I need to re revalue, re change up how I'm thinking. Right, 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 right. If I'm just like, there's no way that he could be right because I know Little B is whack, then I'm an enemy to the culture. Mm. And on top of that, you look at things, a lot of people in hip-hop, they look at things from, and we know how to look at things from a, an objective lens. A lot of people don't. That's the hardest thing for people to do, look at things from an objective lens mm -hmm. and just be able to critique it as such. Other hip-hoppers are so so emotionally tied into it, they can't look at it. Ah, I don't want to hit. Like, they can't look at it from an objective lens. You can because that's what most curators of the culture can do. I almost now, couldn't. Yeah, I'm let sorry. me add this. Now, what's interesting about this discussion, this eloquent way that Knife Wonder, the professor just broke it down. That's what that writer in Complex was trying to yes, say. Yes, yes, but because he's such a terrible-ass writer, he didn't know how to say that properly. <laughs> Yapa, you know what I'm saying? And what he ended up doing was becoming what he critiqued. Mm. Right. And, and, you know, it's funny, man, because it's ironic. It's kind of like what's going on in the country right now. We're experiencing a lot of changes. Some people want to bring the country back. You know what I'm saying? Like, people want to bring rap back. I don't want to go back to when I was listening to Mr. Magic. And, yeah, you had some highlights, but you had a lot of clumsy, clunky sounds. And, and the person that also, it's so weird, man, the person that really changed my perspective was Little B because I was having a conversation with him, and he was like, yo, man, rap is changing. You got rap conservatives that's trying to maintain, and you got that's the right. rap liberals that's trying to push the art forward. And I was like, you know what? I'd rather be a, a rap liberal, man. And, yeah, man. And, and even if I don't understand, I'm going to try to... It might not be for me. I'm not going to say I like it, but at least I'm going to try to understand And that's it. a liberal spirit, having yeah. enough compassion and understanding. Understand, you know what? Maybe that's not for me, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, I know what I want to know, the difference between... You have made a, a, a career, you know, even going overseas, you know? I mm. mean, there's so much respect for stuff overseas. You know, sometimes I feel like in the States, we're so opinionated. I don't know because I don't go to overseas a lot, but what's the difference of why? Like, they love hip-hop. Like, they, like, they don't like get it. it. it will live. Yeah, but it. they love, like, Carl Kanai mm -hmm. is not popping over here, but I heard they're still wearing that shit out there. You know, they appreciate, like, yeah. you know, stuff. You love what you can't get. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's import culture. Like, when the when the, when there was a English invasion, when the Beatles and the Rolling Stones first came mm -hmm. to America, we was eating it up, and I'm sure there's people in England, like... There's way better bands than the Beatles. Why, Beatles are they, are why are they on that? So it's like import culture is always going to win in hip-hop overseas. is the imported culture. So when they listen to hip-hop, they're not listening for the same trendy things that these bloggers are listening for. They listen for the cultural thing. Is there? Can I break dance to it? Is there scratching? Who made the beat? 
I just listened to on Mixcloud. J Rock just did a f- festival in Croatia. That that, that mixtape is. Did you listen to flames. that with with J Rock, Pete Rock, and Madlib? Madlib played mm-hmm. Madlib in the middle of his set after after playing a Med record played Groupies by Future, <laughs> which I love. I said, wait a second, did someone change this? No, this is Madlib playing mm-hmm. Future mm-hmm. in Croatia, and it worked in his set. And then he went back to some jazzy shit. You know what I'm saying? But it's like out there, Pete Rock performed three verses of of uh, the Creator. And I'm listening to this, and I could hear the crowd going crazy. It's because they respect the fact, like whether they even knew all the words or not, they just understood what I'm seeing is special. Maybe I wasn't there, but this is hip-hop. I'm not here because some blog said it was cool. I'm not here because, I'm here because I understand I feel this music because this, I, I'm trying to get what I can. We a little bit spoiled by it here. We take it for granted because it, 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 it was born here. here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's crazy to me, which is, which is really mind-boggling, is in February I spent a little bit of time in Toronto. Mm-hmm. This is right after um, Drake dropped the mixtape. If 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 you if you're reading this, and I thought that was one of the greatest releases of the year. I mean, me I played, too. I was I, like, how talented is this dude? That shit. How is he so... writing all these songs? Oh, ah, <laughs> uh, bong bong bong. But, Miller, Miller but, time. Me, me but, and Knife got to get some ghostwriters, man. Get, but, step our game up, son. Nah, shit. yeah, con- conscious <laughs> ghostwriters though. Conscious ghostwriters. <laughs> so anyway, I'm up in Toronto. <laughs> it's the week. It's, it's the week after the the, the mixtape drops. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yo, like Drake is really running this rap shit. That's right. And a lot of Toronto cats were like, nah, we don't really fuck with him. You really don't know what's Toronto. Right, you don't and know. I'm the... like, son, I, I don't know what's Toronto, but I know what's Toronting right now. Right, you know right. What I'm this shit is crazy, man. Look, you listen to the radio, 60% of what they play on urban radio yeah. is Drake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and But it's also, I guess they, because in Toronto and Canada, there's this rule where they the radio has to play. Canadian music. A certain music. amount of That's Canadian. right. So they probably draked out, but I'm like, y'all could take Drake for granted, but this motherfucker is is it right now. Nah, Drake is on, on track to be legendary, bro. Yes. He on track to be one of the... Well, he's already legendary, but yeah. he's about to knock some... some no, he's on he's track to, to be one of the... Yeah, one of the, one of the greats. Yeah. Now, um, Knife, man, what's going on with Zulu, man? What's happening with Zulu Nation, sir? Man. In the I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for my application, we're man. We're growing. We're growing. Talk, talk about it, we're man. We're growing. Um, you know, when a... When a renaissance type situation right now because Zulu ran in waves. You have the first wave with, you know, Bambada and Ahmed Henderson and everybody. What what's 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 the concept of Zulu for people that, that are not they've heard Zulu in the records but they don't know what Zulu Nation is, man. Well for the people who don't know what Zulu is, uh, to get a, a glimpse of how it started, you can watch a documentary called Rubble King. Which, yep. Beautiful, which is, beautiful and, documentary. Ah, incredible, mm-hmm. incredible. But you know, Zulu was birthed out, birthed out of gang culture. Mm-hmm. This was birthed out of and New York, New York, yes, South Bronx, the South mm-hmm. Bronx, Bronx River Houses, nineteen seventy three. So you know, it spread from that. You know, globally, just taking you know gang members and going and making them DJs and producers and and MCs and graffiti writers and you know trying Dances to find and... other ways to express themselves or whatever. And kind of hip hop came out out of that. You know, it wasn't called hip hop at first till later on in the seventies, but you know, it came out of that. And so now, you know, the first time I heard Zulu was on Planet Rock. And then it kind of went, you Zulu know, Nation. it kind of went back into New York and spread across the globe. But then I heard it again from Brand Nubian and Tribe, mm-hmm. right? And so now it's making another wave again with the music that we're making. And so that, you know, that's just what it is. You know, you can be any race, color, creed, religion. It's just finding truth within yourself. And it's not a hip-hop organization, though. We use hip-hop to reach children and to reach the masses and to reach the youth. But it's not a hip-hop organization because when Bambada was first DJing, he wasn't playing hip-hop records. He's, He's playing, playing everything. He's playing rock and, and right. everything. 
So that's Disco. What, that's what Zulu is. So last year there was I mean, this is the first time that we're getting to talk on this show. We've <laughs> talked about it, you know, in other places, but last year there was this big commotion about Wayne. About Wayne, mm-hmm. man. Right. Can, can we talk about that? Like why some people once again, is this the same conversation where some people feel that Wayne is not hip hop and shouldn't be It's just the fact that, you know, it's the fact and it is funny coming from me in the South, especially the conscious box. Because a lot of people think now that you have to sound a certain way coming from the South. If I if I look at most cats, well, some cats in the South say, you know, Jay Electronica? Yeah, he's from New Orleans. What? What? I thought he was from New York. Because the way they put words together. Right, right, right. So not only are they going to put us in a box like, box like that, they also put us in a box of who we hang with or who we know mm. or who is in our phone or whatever. I just brought David Banner to my school, and a lot of students didn't know we did the album. our album together. Mm. And my students were like, "I, I, I didn't put you. I wouldn't think y'all would hang together." I'm like, "Why? You know, because of the music we got." I said, "Well, you talking about the music? But what about that we black? We from the South? Probably our grandma sound the same. Our cousins sound the same. Y'all aware? We the same, y'all eloquent? We the y'all same love hip hop? Right. Why would I not be in line with Lil Wayne from that standpoint? You know what I mean? Why not? So." The thing about Wayne was, and a lot of people go, oh, Zulu, it's about hip-hop. Zulu was born out of gang. Yeah. Like, Switchblades and, and cut off jean like, jackets. The first right Zulu was killers. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's talk about it. So Zip guns. If you're saying that Wayne is too G or too gangster to be in Zulu Nation, then you don't know the birth mm. of Zulu Nation. Mm-hmm. You just don't know. I, I think some people, from what I saw, was talking about like his affiliation with being blood, you know? Gang. That, that you know. fits right in there. No, no, of course. Yeah, you got right. I mean, first of all, there's so, he's qualified. There's so many gangs: <laughs> corporate gangs, right. regular gangs. I mean, political so, gangs. Exactly, you know what I mean? The gang, just the gang mentality is, itself. You know, even Rubber Kings, Ghetto Brothers, this this gang, that gang. So he, I mean, he was in the. But the thing about it was, it's about community service. He's done a lot for the 504. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of rappers that wouldn't didn't go down to Katrina. Mm-hmm. They didn't go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He did. A, he's done a lot for his 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 area. So just from that standpoint. Why wouldn't we want that? You know what I mean? Why wouldn't we? But somebody said something about Wayne because he's the polarizing figure. Yes. But nobody said anything about Freddie Gibbs when he made him Zulu. Mm-hmm. He's right. from Gary, Indiana. Yeah, but he did an album with Mad Lib, man. That means he's underground. Yeah. Yeah. He's conscious. You see what I mean? He's conscious stuff. <laughs> you see how people think? Yeah. You know what I mean? Gangsta Gibbs. He got a song. He got a, you know, he got a song called Rob Me a Nigga. One of my favorite songs. Great, rob Me a Nigga. Rob Me a Nigga. Yeah. I'm the Rob Me a Nigga right here to fly. <laughs> yeah. I might, rob, I might rob, just rob, rob Me a Nigga. nigga. Right. So, but we put him in Zulu. Nobody said nothing. Listen, I, I told you before, and, and, and I'll tell you now, man, whatever we can do to help. Because the influence of Zulu, especially being an old head, has influenced me to, to do what I'm doing right now. So right. whatever I could do yeah, me to too, push man. the cause yeah. forward, man. And you got I, any and, time and, 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 Zulu? I, I, yeah. I need a membership card, man. I need a membership card, man. A lot of Italians. Let me know what I could, I'm thirsty for that, man. <laughs> man, I text you about that, man. Italian writers and exciters and MCs you know how and DJs. Texting, man, and keep keep stuff in their message box and yeah. don't hit send. Yeah, like me. Combat did that for me for like two months. <laughs> dots is on my screen. Like, dude, what you the dots? Do? The dots was on there. <laughs> it was on there for a while. They'll pop up. And they'll go it was per- it was percolating. <laughs> it was percolating. Get ready for the percolating. Yo, tell right. t- tell us about this album, man. Um, it's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, Indy Five Hundred was something that myself and Ninth Wonder and Farrell came up with a couple years back. Uh, we are all been doing this for a long time, have a lot of industry experience, and we all have artists and crews that we work with. And we just seem, it just seemed like we was doing the same thing. We're doing the same thing. Let's connect. 
we are all influenced by the native tongues, mm-hmm. by Zulu Nation, even by mm-hmm. the errors of the the when you had Rough Riders and and Rockefeller and Bad Boy and Death Row. The the, I, the crew thing elevates like a rising tide all boats. If if I'm doing good, Knife is doing good, and Pharaoh's doing good. If Pharaoh's doing good, like and that's the way it always was like that. But we decided to give it a name. And, make it um, official. Make it official. And, you know, Indy 500 came, came to be. And immediately, Ninth and I started working on this album together. And now we now we here. And what's wh- why is it called Indy 500? That's a, that's a name that Pharaoh came up with, man. And I was like, wow. You know what I mean? And it's, it seems like the that's the new trending thing to be right now, independent. Mm. We've been independent, which is that's a whole nother Comeback Jack episode. Mm. You know independent. I mean? that mm. I'm independent. I'm doing it 500. Myself. And I learn, you know, because I have the benefit and the privilege of having millions of marketing dollars used in the beginning of my career. So you have fans of mine who are like, yo, I, there's nothing better than Black Star, Reflection, Eternal Quality. It was just three, four million, five million dollars spent to get you to feel that mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. I feel like as an artist, I've only grown, but it hasn't been marketed in the same way. So, yeah, are there songs from that era that I feel like I, I will never achieve and can't be touched? Absolutely. But I feel like as I became an independent artist and I started looking at what Jamla was doing, looking at what uh, Stone's Throw had been doing, looking at what Duck Down had been doing, even uh, younger people than me like Fool's Gold and, you know, Mad Decent, younger artists who came up after me who didn't have the big marketing dollars and, and figured it out. I was like, how can I take what's this, these fans I got because I was marketed to the world and bring them to my lane and do it independently, I got to learn from the people who've been doing it the whole time. How do I scale it back and make it more intimate? Yeah. Now, now you said crew. Who's in the crew? Who's in Indy 500? Indy 500, yes. Yeah, my label, Jamla. That's Rhapsody, Hollow, GQ, mm-hmm. Actual Proof, Tifi, Heather Victoria, the Soul Council, my beat team. Yep. Javoti Media. Javoti at this point is Jessica Caremore. Mm-hmm. Nico is and his whole Colors of the Culture crew, which is thanks Joey and a whole bunch of other artists. Um, Corey Moe and uh, Corey Moe, Corey Moe, Kay Valentine, um, MK Asante, who's a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Knife got a great relationship. And through Knife's relationship, I have a, I have a great relationship with uh, with Problem and mm-hmm. Bad Luck, the whole mm-hmm. Diamond Bad Lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Farrell March, of course, has War Media. Uh, they have uh, damn. The, this shit is getting bigger. This shit is some. Too, this shit is some Chicago. warrior shit. Like like like. It is. It's yeah. You if you you know you down with us. It's like even brother Ali is on the album. Yeah. Slug from Atmosphere is mm-hmm. on the album. Yo, I got you know what Planet it's, Asia. I gotta interrupt, man. Um, I'm going to Minnesota mm-hmm. Thursday, and out the blue, uh, I hope you don't get mad for me saying this, but I got a letter out. The, I don't know brother Ali. Mm-hmm. I had one conversation with him face to face, and we talk on social media. But the br- brother wrote me a heartfelt letter mm-hmm. uh, about two weeks ago about how he values what we're doing on this show. Like, from, from the heart. He's real like that. And it, the shit just galvanized me. He was like, yo, there's a lot of shit going on, and motherfuckers going to try to discredit what y'all doing. And, and out the blue. And Great it's like, and I, like I ride for that kid. Like, I wrote for him before because I, I think he's a way, dope son. MC and a dope person, but... Out of the blue to write me a fucking letter, like 700 right. words? That's who that dude is. The song that you hear on the album, is the, I think mm. it's the last song on the album, is Me, Brother Ali, Planet Asia, produced by Crisis. Me and Brother Ali recorded that in my hotel room after meeting with Farrakhan. Mm. Because we came back from the Farrakhan meeting and we got to talk and I'm like, me and Knife doing this album, you need to hop on this album. He hopped on it immediately. 
That's crazy. That's who that dude is. So is this a is this, I don't want to get into the 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 delineation again of the labels, but pun intended. But is this a Javoti project? Is this a Jamla project? Like how how who's going to be releasing this project? We are we both are. Okay, the joint. So it's like a joint. joint. Joint traffic venture. distribution joint venture okay. yeah okay. Joint, joint venture when is this record coming out man november no well when is this episode airing this episode is airing that way, tomorrow knows the whole program. tomorrow okay. tomorrow yeah, we, so, so we can say it. yeah yeah this uh november, november six. yeah november, november six. 6 you can go to itunes and pre-order right now you know uh we was just on jimmy fallon performing the, the joint with rhapsody Mm, that, that was, was great, man. Great love, performance. Did you like that? Yeah, I love your outfit on there. Oh, I was, look, man, I had to go to, you know what I'm saying? I see you. Now, now let me ask you pimpin something. Pimping is pimping. Knife, you've worked with so many people, man. How is it working with, with, with Talib, man? Like, like, what does he bring to the game from your perspective that's so unique? You know what, man? is the one thing that I'm, I'm learning, and I'm, I've been in the game now for about 12, 13 years. It's from certain cats you learn how to longevity in Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Longevity and relevancy in this business. And that's one thing I'm learning from him. You know what I mean? Because I was that kid you were talking about in 97, 98, where I was like, fuck Puff. Fuck. I was that kid in 88. You know what I'm saying? Like, fuck, fuck Hammer. You're right. Yeah, exactly. I was like, fuck Hammer. And, then me, so amazing. and then me and Most went to Hammer's crib to do a Black Star song yeah. 20 years later after I was like, fuck Hammer. You know what I mean? Like, and that's. <laughs> Still I, type I, fuck vanilla ice, kid. but that for other reasons. <laughs> so I'm, anyway, I'm sorry. The, I'm the I'm the I am a descendant of native tongues and rockers, straight up. Like that's my lineage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's beautiful honor. that you say that like that. It, it, I mean, it's all it all ties in, you know. But it's an honor first and foremost because you never know. I think sometimes us as artists, we kind of get lost in who we are instead of lo- instead of understanding we're still fans and understanding where we where we are, in, you know, in our place. So. My thing is, it's a, a trip for this even happen because if you'd ask me when I first bought the Black Star album back September 29th, 1998, mm. I would have been, I would have told somebody were a lie. You know what I mean? But now it's like here. So it's kind of like, it was the same thing with Buckshot. The same thing. You know what mm. I mean? Mm. So it's, it's a great it's album too, man. A, great collaboration. Yeah, I love that one. For it to go down. Well, technically, like if if you can peel back the the, the, the layers, man, like, what were some of the things you had to adjust with Talib? Was there, I mean, as a producer, you're not a beat maker. You're a producer. Right, right. Give us an example. You're like, yo, Ta, flip it like this or or, or, or pull back on that. Well, ma- well, majority of, you know, the joints he did himself, you know what I mean, recorded himself or whatever, and it's up to us, myself, Christ, and Soul Council, to kind of get together and just to meld it all together. My thing is with, with rappers, you know, as a producer, I, you know, rappers like to say things two, three, four, five times. Because mm-hmm. it's never, and I understand that the MC mentality is never, I can say this word better. I know I can say this line better. But from producers, it's a feeling aspect. Mm-hmm. We like the point. feeling of it. So we just listen to the feeling. If you mm. stumble across a word, that may be the right thing you need to do. Mm. You don't have to perfect it. Right. right. So you, don't perfect. To, it, it, you don't have to perfect. Right. And so, you know, just translating that to choir, I'm like, you know, right. I know you can say it better, but this feels great. You don't have to say your verse is over. This is great as is. So that's, you know, that's kind of some of the things that we were doing during this record. But a learning experience, man, definitely learning experience. And, and a lot of times I had to sit back and say, he like, knife, I know what I'm talking about. All right. And, and, and with, that's with, what it is. With, with you, Tyler, I'm sorry to cut you off. What, what was your experience with 
I mean, what, no, what did you learn working with with Knife? Those are great, great points that Knife made. Um, not to take it too much off of Knife, but even what he was talking about about the feeling. I became a better MC after listening to Slum Village because at the, that, t- that time in my career, I was trying to be perfect. And I would be in the booth for hours trying to perfect the line and not listen to Slum Village. And they mumbling about menage a trois. And I'm like, we be them niggas and we be them. That's all you wrote for the song? And that shit feels great. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, wait, all I had to write was we be them niggas, we be them. And it's a great song. I've been doing too much work. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so smarter. Yeah, I just I became better. I learned about feeling. Mm-hmm. I learned about try get out my own head, get out what I'm trying to represent for the lyrics, get out what I'm thinking about, what the fans gonna think of how I said this, and just how does it feel on the track. Um, I've learned a lot from Knife as far as how he's run Jamla. You know, I, I mentioned it earlier. Knife came come to New York first times we was hanging out. And I'd try to take Knife to the club and turn up because I used to go turn up. Mm. I still do, but not as much as I did back then. And Knife, I would take Knife to these clubs and he'd be like, nigga, can we go to the studio? Ah. <laughs> like, you know, so you super conscious. Yeah, like that. You I'm super. super duper. <laughs> so, super. I, but what, years later, Jamla is now the squad mm-hmm. as opposed to Jamla being something that Knife is trying to do. Right. Now when Knife says Jamla is the squad, you know what he's talking about. Now when Knife says Soul Council, you know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, at that point, it was just trying to convince people it's more than just little brother. You know what I'm saying? And um, and I just, I've learned so much about, Knife is all is my sounding board and also just the independent thing. You know, Knife Wonder hasn't had the opportunities I've had in this business. When, when, when Little Brother dropped, Ruckus was already a big thing. I remember listening to Little Brother and be like, this reminds me of Blackstar. Mm-hmm. But not in a bad way, like, oh, somebody else got the formula too. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, and then other people were saying that. When that first black, when first Little Brother album dropped, Listen was the first one? Yeah. When that dropped, I remember the reviews. Like, it feels like raucous. It feels like Blackstar. And I was like, yo, they got, they got something going on here. You know, and, um, and for Ninth to grow up in hip-hop, and was bugged is that we about the same age. Yeah. But even though he says that he comes from raucous, we still the same age. So he has, he's influenced by the same thing I'm influenced by. So when he had a platform and a position of influence, immediately... It was Jamless the Squad. Immediately, it's like Zulu Nation. Mm-hmm. Immediately, it was like, okay, I'm gonna be a professor. I'm gonna go to Harvard. I'm gonna go to Duke. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take it all the way there. Some of those things, I fell back on because I didn't want to be looked at as uh, people already look at me super conscious. You already I'm, started your career from a bookstore. Yeah, I started in the bookstore. <laughs> started in the bookstore. Now we here. You know what I'm saying? So. I might have said no to some of those opportunities or not said no, but not really pursued them in the way that I should have or could have. And I've learned from Knife how to embrace all of that and still be able to do a record with Little B, if that's what I feel like. I'm sorry, what's the name of the album? It's the Indy Indy 500 and the name of the crew is Indy 500. That's right. Coming out in November. That's right. Um, You doing tours? Yeah, man. With, 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 With most. I right? guess. How was? What do you mean? You guess? <laughs> I mean, I guess. What do you mean? I mean, look, people. Black Star does several shows a year, mm-hmm. and every time we get billed, it gets billed as this reunion tour. Mm-hmm. But it's never that. It's just we do shows, and because people are excited about Black Star, the billing and the hype becomes they're doing a tour, yeah. and we show up on stage like I guess this, this is, is the reunion. Right, right, I guess right, right, that's right. how they want to sell the tickets. How's the brother doing, man? I I think he's doing good. Yeah. Most. Yasin Bey is uh, one of the most popular artists on the planet. And 
what he's doing is he's traveling the planet and making it so much more about hip hop and what who he is now is so much closer to Yasin Bey as an individual than I think most Def was, which I think is why he made the name change. You know, but God bless my brother, man. I love him to death, and he's been one of my hugest influences. Mm. Very good, man. Um, oh, last thing I gotta say, man. Y- y'all have anything to say, man? Uh, I, you know, I, my artist list. I left out the good brother from Chicago, Ad Two, who just put out a project called right. "Pray for the Poor." Pray for the so Poor. I want to put that out there. Check for it. Check for it from Chicago. Me and Ad, Ad Two got a joint, dope joint on the. How, how do you how do you spell Indy five hundred. Ad Two like Ad A D D dash Two. Okay. Ad Two. That's, that's pretty yeah, simple. Only two. Um, yeah. Talib, man, I had a good time uh, being your hype man at that yacht party, man. That was a good <laughs> night, man. Oh, man, I missed that. I, I want to I do that again. Can no, what's crazy that is that they I, I didn't read the emails properly. Mm-hmm. When I got there, they said, so you going to play, it's me and Tony Touch DJ in a party. They said, you going to play Rockefeller. Tony Touch going to play Bad Boy. Mm-hmm. Now, I have the skills and the capacity to do, I have the musicality and the knowledge mm-hmm. to Talk be able to it. play an all Rockefeller set. Mm-hmm. But I was upset. I'm like, why would you hire me and Tony Touch and then dictate what we play? Mm-hmm. What's the point of hiring me and tell me to play Jay-Z records? You could have had a working DJ who works five nights a week. Do that. Mm-hmm. If you hire Tyler Quali, you hire me to hear what I want to play. Mm-hmm. But I played some. I played like twenty minutes of Rockefeller. Then we went wherever we Yo, went. When you played Whoa, right, Bad my Boy nigga, record. It was a rap. <laughs> it was a rap. I, st- I stage dived into. The- oh, it was crazy. It was, cra- it was Combat dive. Jack and Angela Yee as my hype man. Yo, that was beautiful. That was wow. fun though. I, I, I love that concept, man. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but yeah, yeah. Not no going into it. I it was my fault for not reading the email. Mm-hmm. Keep it a buck. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, but. I, but I see what you're saying. They could have hired DJ Wait a Minute for, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, spun, and spun some shit, you know. Yeah. If they bring Tyler in, you know, let the mother like, like They like, wanted people to like pay. Like how Clark always says and how real DJs, I feel, say. DJ like you don't You don't come up and fucking ask for a request. No, let the motherfucker play. Like, yeah. if you come up, that's disrespectful. Like, how are you going to yeah. come up and ask somebody, like, you know, uh, play this? Nah. You know, right. let them do what I'll they do. I'll play a set of this. But, you know, again, there's, I, I do like the concept. It was a theme. I do and like, and yeah. there was different rooms. The verses, the verses. I, I do like the concept. I just would have rather been a fan in that room than mm-hmm. me to one have to play the record. Right, 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 yeah. right, right, right. Listen. What's crazy is about this interview. A year ago at A3C, that's when you interviewed me for the verse. Yeah, that's crazy, yeah. right? And then and this week is, is A3C, man. Right. A3C is yeah. back, Are yeah. you, you going to be there? I don't know. Yeah, Are you going to A3C? I don't fuck with A3C. Why oh. not, man? Um, I just think that they realized the value of hip hop and because of that, and they're probably fans of hip hop. And because of that, they came up with a way to celebrate the culture and make a little money on the side. But I think that they have taken the make a little money on the side part to the next level. And they disrespect money. They're disrespectful to people in the culture and how to deal. They, they, they try to get you for the low, low for the cheap, cheap and for the low, low. And I did that for a few years. And to the point where I felt like, you know what? I, this is not a healthy relationship Mm. for me. I want to shout out specifically Tom White, who's always I felt I felt was the heart and soul of A three C. He's no longer part of A three C. No, he's not. But, he's but not. I de- he fought for years to get to us bring on the us show. Down he there. fought to you know. I remember when we did the show a couple of years ago. We did a live show, a live uh, interview with uh, Two Chains when mm. Two Ch- like the height of Two Chain mania, and we had some. They they gave us this bullshit club yeah, yeah. off the beaten path, and it was probably like five twenty people that came out. It's yeah. two chains. I think that, they did that to me a couple times yeah, too. Which, which is the bullshit which is, club. Which, which is crazy. Yeah. Which is but but you know they they they're trying their best to make amends. So I'm a, you know I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> yo we down there. This is our fourth year. <laughs> <laughs> if y'all can see what's going on, I'm like, actually DJing 
in Atlanta this Saturday. Oh, so we'll Where? be there. We'll Where? be there. At uh, some club. Is A3C this Saturday? It's, yeah, I'm DJing I'm, I'm, somewhere. We'll be there. We'll yeah. be there. because we'll someone respects me enough Somebody to pay me to Somebody wrote you to, to do come. an A3C event, Talib. But they, they didn't you write. You didn't read the email. They didn't, I didn't read the email. You didn't read the email. I didn't read the email. Talib is representing A3C. Yo, they're hitting you with the good distribution. Yo, listen, Yo, you have any good features on this album with Don Lemon? Is there any ad-libs or anything like that on there? Yeah, what's up with Brother Don, man? Hey, man, shout out to Don Lemon, you know. He out there making friends. <laughs> Yo, listen, Talib, man, don't fi- don't stop. Oh, man, I don't, can't. Don't stop. Shout out to Van Jones. Mm. Because if you watch that interview carefully, there's a moment when I was done. Mm-hmm. Early, before we even argued. Mm-hmm. And Van Jones was was standing there like... Leave it alone, leave, No, he was like, go back and oh. do your interview. Okay. Because if you watch, I walk... I wasn't going to... I was walking off. Right, right. Because I'm not... I know better than to... I know I'm an argumentative type of dude. Mm-hmm. So when I already see really? it... Yes. Okay. So whenever I when I seen it go in that direction, I was like, you know what? If you're not going to talk to me in a way that I feel like respectful, we're not even going to have a conversation. Yeah, why, why, why would I respect? And you Van that? Jones was like, go back, and so that's why I was standing there tight. <laughs> Listen, yeah. Brooklyn. Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Listen, brothers, I don't care if if you got another project coming out, if you're opening up a you know. A, conscious Bean Pie Shop. Qualityclub.com. Speaking of Conscious Bean Pies, you can get all types of books, and you could get. Uh, art prints, and you could get albums. Albums, you know, Jessica Care Moore, the one yes. of the greatest poets I ever heard. Beautiful she dropped her too. debut Beautiful. album. You can get the the physical at qualityclub.com, the vinyl, the CDs. You can get the album on iTunes too. But qualityclub.com, it was built for me by Ryan Leslie. It's my store. Oh, disruptive. Yeah, disruptive media. Shout been, out. They've been calling me to do that shit, man. Do you I... need to, yo, for real. Ryan Leslie changed my life, bro. Put some money in his man. That's right. Put shout some out money to, in the accounts. Shout, put some money in my on the books. Yeah. Sir. I'm inviting you guys. I'm um, in January. I'll be the new artist of residence at University of Pennsylvania. See, that's nice, what I'm talking nice. about, son. Um, Step my game studies. up. Raise we're the bar. Doing, we're doing a master class. I'm doing two master classes, one on beats, and I'm doing another master class on the 20th anniversary of Illadelph Half-Life. Mm. Wow. So, Concerto of the down. Desperado. I'll be there. We'll be there. Okay. Let's, let's, let's go get our academia on. Pete. We'll be an honor. Yo. Definitely. <laughs> we'll be an honor. Brothers, thank you so much, man. Thank yo. you. Anytime. Smart, yo. Every time. <laughs> Too smart. Yo, I want to say, you know what? Before we go. Pete, I'm a conscious felon. No, I'm a drug. Forget about this. Forget <laughs> yeah. about being a felon. Yeah, yeah. I already know about I already know Listen, about Tyler, premium We change. Here. We change. Yeah, We're you new people. You know? but That's on, right. You're a liberal now. Honestly, yo, Talib, real talk. Both. First of all, both of you, man. I I love y'all, man. I love Talib. It's all love, Pete. No, no, real talk. I love that you have always you've been you've never been anybody other than yourself man and i really like honestly man forget about rap or anything i love that and and you know with with, with night man you know like i forget, even besides music just your rally man the way you rally behind the troops like you know mm-hmm. you, you you you're a true boss man and 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 it's funny because me and sean price man you know rest man, in peace man Jesus you know we used word. to now nah, you know we, we used to say that you know and i never we never told you know we're just talking you know and we used to say that you're one of the most underrated sneaker lovers in hip-hop man like oh yeah you know we used to say that me and sean price, jays you man. got on your feet right now b i'm <laughs> no, so no, no, no. i'm he so always envious got right flavor. now he always I'm got some so flavor. envious right now. Those joints right there. Woo! <laughs> I just appreciate. I mean, we appreciate. I mean, hip hop appreciates y'all, man. <laughs> Don't worry about no fucking barbecues, right? We, we, throw, we throw our own barbecues. That's right, and our yeah. barbecues is fly. Yeah, Most yeah, definitely. Let's throw a barbecue this summer, man. For real, man. For real, definitely. We can play some Lupe Fiasco, yeah. Memphis uh, style rub, dry rub Yo, uh, ribs on the fucking thing. Word up. No, no tofu, tofu, shrimps, tofu, tofu, lobster. I had Sunny Anderson come on my house and barbecue. She threw a cheese wheel on the grill. Damn, Yo, Brie. She grilled the cheese. Br- Brie. 
Yeah, Kofi. Listen, you, for real. $5 off with Kofi. I and do barbecues, bro. My barbecues is legendary. Yo, let's do it. That's man. why I know Complex don't know what the fuck they let's talking about. Let's <laughs> do it. Let's do it. You eat kale now? You eat kale? I, I, I'll fuck up some kale. <laughs> I, I like that. Listen. <laughs> Yo, internets, man. You know what it is, man. Dream those dreams. Man up, woman up, and live those dreams because a life without dreams is black and white, and the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound. Blow. Cheer. Indy 500. Internet, what's going on? It's Premium Pete, and you know what time it is. It's time for Premium Pete's Rant of the Week. And this week, man, King, I'm going to touch on drug use, man, Uh-oh. and doing drugs. Now, listen, I'm not going to condone drugs, but I'm just going to tell you, uh, you know, why not to do drugs because of what happened to me. Man, I remember, King, when I was like 17 years old, I was smoking uh, diesel dust with, with a couple of friends. They Ooh. told me it was weed. Next thing you know, uh, it was like two o'clock in the morning. I found myself, uh, you know, in between the screen door and the door to my mother's house. My father opened the door to, uh, you know, go to work at six in the morning. Me and the fucking paper rolled down the steps, you know, <laughs> in- embarrassing. I think I had no shirt on either. I don't know what the fuck was going on. Sweaty. Yeah, man. Don't smoke diesel. Listen, don't smoke dust. OK. And I will say, you know. Th- I, I never forget, like, years ago when I was going to, like, some of these raves parties, I smoked it. I was smoking things that I didn't even know fucking existed, like DMT. It was like, they're like, yo, try this shit out. And, you know, I was in that stage where I was like, all right, yeah, I'll fuck with it. Yo, she was, my whole world was a kaleidoscope. I'm telling you right now, like, wow. the, it was just like one big light show for about 17 <laughs> hours. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. So don't fuck with DMT. Don't fuck with, uh, um you know, dust. And I will say this, even acid King, I'll never forget this. I took acid one time. Well, multiple times. I mean, not why. Um, and, uh, the bus came down the block cut in half. Fucking people were waving at me. The people were waving at me. And then all of a sudden, two seconds later, the back caught up to the front and stuck together. And then I had another story where I was messing with this girl. And whenever I would, uh, be, you know, like, like I was so nervous because me and her were having sex. And when I was ready to come, she was like, come on my stomach or my breast. And we were both tripping out on multiple hits of acid. And when I came on her, it started to sizzle. Like, you know, like it was fucking like, like, like I was melting her. Like, like, yeah, my fucking sperm was sizzling. Man, it was like fucking burning her. So I was scared because I was like, oh, you're good. You're good. And she was like, ah. Something's wrong. It's burning me. And uh, yo, I really thought I was fucking like, you know, here I am, right? I'm thinking like, fuck, I'm going to go to jail. Fucking this girl's going to die. You know, I'm like, fuck. So listen, internet, don't fuck with drugs because of these fucking stories. Listen, everybody needs something to take them away from what's going on in life, but See. not these drugs. I'm telling you why drugs are no good. I'm not here glorifying fucking drugs. Listen, I'll give my last story. I'll never forget. I was on mushrooms one time. And I was tripping. The whole fucking world was pink. I swear to God, I saw John Stamos in the fucking clouds. I see Danny Terrio in the fucking clouds. I seen Spike Lee hanging on the corner. But I really didn't see these fucking people. This is what I was seeing. And all of a sudden, I'll never forget, my my friend said, yo, you got to stop home because we got to get a couple of things. So I said, you know what? Let's go to my house. We went to my house. It was the worst thing I ever did because what happened was as soon as I get to my house, my mother and father are downstairs, and I look at them. They fucking look like midgets. And all of a sudden, they tell me, they're like, hey, do you know where the TV guide is? We need the TV guide. So I go upstairs, sit on my fucking bed, bugging out, thinking like, yo, how the fuck am I going to get this TV guide? Because I don't know what the fuck. I can't pay attention. I can't concentrate right now. Yeah. So I literally just get the fucking uh, a couple sweaters and shirts and stuff, throw it in the fucking Jansport, and I run downstairs, and they're like, Pete. 
the TV guide. Where is it? So I fucking said, shit, I'm sorry. So I run back upstairs, sit up there for another 10 minutes. And I'm thinking to myself, fuck, how the fuck am I going to get this TV guide? Because I can't pay attention. I don't remember where I put it. I don't know where it is. All of a sudden, yo, King, I fucking literally grabbed my fucking transport, run back downstairs, and they're like, the TV guy, I don't know where the fuck it is. And I ran the fuck outside and fucking ran for the coast, man, and I didn't come back, you know? I didn't come back for about a day or two, Damn. you know? That's what drugs do to you. So, internets, listen, if you're going to do some type of drug, make that drug be somebody you love. Make that drug be, uh, you know, doing something that you're passionate about. Don't fuck with drugs because look what they did to Premium Pete. And you don't want that to happen to you. Say no to drugs. Say no to drugs and say yes to something else. Premium Pete's rant of the week. Cheer. What up, Internet? It's your boy A-King. Hashtag the weekly drop. This weekly drop is coming out of Columbus, Ohio from an artist named Supernatural featuring Elliot Trent. This record is called I Can Tell. Make sure you download the Combat Jack Show app on Google Play. App store, you know, know it's good, man. in front of cameras. I'm with some real niggas, never with no actors. I got my cash up, so what's the plan? Uh, you ever fucked in a bag of a jack, huh? I ain't even have to dip into my stash just to get a retention. He got a bite. To hear the rest of this joint, make sure you download the Combat Jack Show app on iTunes, Google Play, and local bodegas. This episode of the Combat Jack Show was produced by Jonathan Mena, executive produced by A King and Chris Morrow engineered by Samir Karan and recorded in the Engine Room Audio Studio in downtown Manhattan. This is an official Loudspeakers Network's production.